Hello and welcome to In the Past Garage Rock Podcast, the show where we talk about a song for way too long. I'm your host, Weldon Gardner-Hunter, and with me, as always, is my loyal co-host, Eric, rich with nothing, Komernicki. School's out for the summer. School's out forever. Ooh, well, actually, I go back to school on May 9th. Okay, school's <laughs> for about a week. <laughs> That's right, we're recording this. Well, I actually don't have my calendar. I think it's April 26th or something like that. But hey, what's time when you're on vacation? We're both on vacation. Yeah, we, we, uh, this podcast was almost recorded in person with Weldon and I in the same location, and uh, but not not quite. We hyped it up, and I think that we told people that we were going to do some like episodes where we're live in the same room. And Eric did come to Vancouver this weekend. And then we spent the entire time walking around Stanley park and watching basketball and, uh, and then going looking for food. Hey, that <laughs> is the life we live. All right. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's why we, it feels like we haven't done a podcast in so long that we're like, Oh yeah. Don't we do a podcast? So this is what we do. It's a podcast. And you just reminded me, Oh, that's right. We have an episode based on, life it's all garage rock songs where the guys and in this case it's all guys talking about life and their philosophy of life so i think the germans call it leben's philosophy so any um german uh philosopher out there a continental philosopher better pay close attention to this episode because we're going to be talking about four songs from the 1960s that really discuss the idea of life so i think we should just move right into the first one and it's a doozy. The first one is one that you're going to go, oh, yeah, this song's great. And it's a garager. And it's from 65. And it's the animals with their song, It's My Life.
from 1965. That's The Animals with It's My Life. It's getting us started. I don't have any notes on the animals, but I don't think we've actually talked about them before on the show, have we? I almost feel like we did an animal song, but it's not coming to mind, so maybe not. I feel like we did. And this is, anyways, this is, hey, we're rusty. That's fine. Let's, this is just like Hawaiian shirt summertime. Wait, we did. Podcast. We did. And it was the one, it was Bright Lights Big City. Oh, of course. Good. That means that we've talked about them so that we have an excuse for the We have covered like, their entire history. Surely we don't I'm need like, to say anything else about them. Because in my mind, I was thinking, well, Eric Burden's on vocals. And I do remember that Alan Price is on keyboard. Hilton so may not on, on guitar. Song. Hilton Valentine guitar. Maybe oh, Chaz, Chaz Chandler, Chandler on, on bass. And then whoever's on drums is on drums. <laughs> Harvey Sharp on bass. <laughs> so uh, let's just get started talking about the song. And I think one thing we're going to be talking about largely in this podcast uh, is we're going to be talking about lyrics. So I think lyrics are going to get a major discussion because this one obviously has some wild lyrics. But let's also talk about the music, too. So I'm going to throw to Eric to get us started. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I'm mostly going to talk about the lyrics, too. But so the song starts with the killer riff. Obviously, the riff is a big part of the song. And you got to love these 60s songs that were hits. And they're, they're not Jimi Hendrix tracks, but the, the riffs are iconic, right? And this one has an ostinato that is introduced by the bass right at the beginning, Sounds great on the bass. And then a 12-string guitar comes in and doubles it. And then the 12-string guitar and the bass split up. And then throughout the uh, the verse, which we'll go through, it, you know, part by part with the lyrics, but through the verse, the uh, the guitar keeps doing that ostinato part. Uh, the um, uh, So, yeah, it starts with that. And then the guitar keeps doing that. Part, mm-hmm. right? Which the bass sometimes doubles. But then when we get to the pre-chorus, if we're going to call it that, which is the like, I'm going to ride the serpent, all that kind of stuff. Then the guitar and the bass play in unison. So you both get a bit more power there, but it's also, I mean, we'll talk about how the lyrics interact with the music there and how it gets like this kind of weird loose feel. Like it really, mm-hmm. I don't know. I want to talk about that when we get to the lyrical stuff of it. And yeah. then some more chords in the chorus. And, uh, you know, one thing I love about the music to this song is that a band with a, uh, uh, oh, and there's organ. That, for some reason, I don't even think about it much in this song, but there is organ, yeah. not Alan Price, who was the ah. player on House of the Rising Sun. This is the guy who replaced Alan Price, whose name I can't remember, Dave something. Apologies, Dave something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but And and I sh- maybe I should mention that Hilton Valentine died quite recently, like oh. uh, I think within a year ago. The guitar player, a good guitar player. And, and uh, yeah, I love a, a song like this that a band like this could sit down and play on stage and, it, and you will play all these parts and have it sound, you know, it's hard to sing like Eric Burden and stuff, but have it sound like quite a bit like this, the kind of song that doesn't have a whole uh, shitload of overdubs or anything. I love I love a good overdub myself. Rub-a-dub-dub, I say, with the overdub. <laughs> hey, so I have a question for you. Yeah. Is it a spy riff? It sounds pretty spy-y to me. Yeah, I guess it does have an element like that. And we could discuss, I mean, I'll be honest, that's not what came immediately to mind for me when I heard it. But we should discuss what that music is evoking and Mm -hmm. how it would interact with the lyrics for sure. So let's... Oh, sorry. We're rusty here. That's that's what's happening. One more thing I want to say is, is, even though we would have said this plenty when we talked about Bright Lights, Big City, is the thing everyone says about Eric Burden, what a voice. This guy's got this incredible, deep 
uh, voice with just like a very gutsy voice, which carries a lot of these animal songs. Finally proving that a guy named Eric can sing. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Uh, songs right like, now, uh, Clapton is shaking his fist. Oh. <laughs> you know, there's a question. Are his vocals underrated? Eric Clapton is. And I would say no, because I think everything's overrated with Eric Clapton. But hey. Well, also, his vocals changed so much over his career because his um, – some I've heard say that his vocals are weak at times because he has struggled with substance abuse. So mm. there were there were times when his voice was not as strong as others. But there have been times when I think Eric Clapton's vocal performance have actually been quite strong. Well, here's another – That's not shocking. Some people love his vocals. Yeah, go, well, go ahead. Speaking of music, it's written by – the music is written by Carl Derrico, which I guess would mean in Italian – De Erico would mean of Eric. So Eric, there's an Eric that wrote the music and there's an Eric singing the songs. I kind of yeah, like it. Yeah, the Carl music Dick. of Eric. And Roger Atkins also? Yeah, he's the lyric writer. He wrote the actual words. I guess Carl Derrico wrote the music. This is the piece of information I got. And because this episode is a, a kind of a strange one in that we were going to record it a while ago and we just didn't get around to it. The... Um, the amount of research has been strange because it feels like I've done less, but then I go, maybe I've done more. I don't really know. But a lot of it was a long time ago and there's no sources. So it's going to be kind of a weird one. By the way, this week's um, intern is Emirate. So he's out there maybe uh, finding out information that we're going to get uh, on the fly. And uh, we'll see if he can ride the serpent, so to speak. So, <laughs> well, wait, I shouldn't have said that. Well, he's gone. No, no, he's still, here. he's still here. He understands it's the lyrics of the song we're talking about here. Symbolism, right? But um, so so the song's got definitely uh, that really cool riff. And I like that it does change uh, or develop, if you want to call it that, when it gets to the second mm. verse. That kind of what I call the then he kissed me riff. The ding, ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. Yeah. I'm always listening for anything like that. So. That's there. And then one thing that's cool is that, you're yeah, right, the bass is very, very prominent in the song, but I didn't really notice it until recently that I was like, oh, yeah, the bass is actually good in this. I'm always listening to this, the, the way Eric Burden sings words and then just the cool riffs that are in this song. So it is yeah. good to then hear some other things going on, some textures underneath all that. Yeah, he said some words really well, like sable and serpent. Maybe he just really likes S words and he's like, I'm going to nail this S word. Well, so that's one thing we should say is that when you go look up information on this, if you go to the song facts page on it, there is uh, someone who's compiled the information. I think it's an open source thing. Someone claims that in an interview, uh, Eric Burden says he hates this song, and then it has a link to the, an interview where he says nothing of the sort. <laughs> so I don't know if he does hate the song, why he would. But then there's also people saying, oh, he changed the lyrics. But then the, what it seems like he's he missed – he. He got the chorus wrong that was written by Roger Atkins. Okay, I, I can kind of back that up a little bit with something a secondary source is um who's that guy who has the music website which is crazy? Is it Mark Prindle or Mark Pringle? What's Mark Prindle, yeah. Yeah, so Mark Prindle has some stuff about the song in his site and doesn't go very in depth about the song at all, but he makes a comment about the lyrics and says, What do these lyrics mean? And then Roger Atkins actually posts. Oh, to it, claiming okay. it's Roger Atkins. And I, I think it is. I don't see anything in there that indicates otherwise. And he says, hi, Mark. Someone just introduced me to your site. Glad you like the song. Uh, I think I can clear up some things about the lyrics that you were, you know, and 
Mark Prindle says something like, what the hell does this mean or something? So he's being kind of polite saying like that you seem a little bit puzzled about. Uh, and he, so he does clear up a couple that they talk about on the song facts page, such as where Eric Burden says, uh, show me I'm wrong, hurt me some, sometime, but someday I'll treat you real fine. And mm-hmm. Roger Atkins there says, it should be, sure, I'll do wrong, hurt you sometimes, which makes more sense. So mm-hmm. I believe that. I think we should just say that is what it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, another one on the song facts page is that they say, though I'm dressed in rags, I'll flash labels one day. Roger Atkins does not mention that in his correction. And to me, the sable line, I much prefer. I think that's a really yeah. cool line. So, And Roger Atkins, unless he just heard the – the animals line said, well, that's way cooler than flash labels. So I'm not going to mention that I didn't make that up, but that's, I don't know if it makes more sense or anything, but it just sounds so cool. And for some reason it adds a little bit of like, yeah. Anyways, we're getting into lyrics here. So we'll get there when we get there. Then the other one that he mentions that was, that was changed. I did write it down in here, but I'm not seeing it. So, but definitely that one where he says, show me I'm wrong, hurt me sometime seems should actually be sure I'll do wrong, hurt you sometime. In Mm -hmm. some facts, it is suggested that Eric Burden changed that line because he was either uncomfortable with the actual line. Anyway, it doesn't, I don't think there's any good reason to have changed that line. He shouldn't have changed it. The other line's better. Yeah. Well, let's just start talking about the lyrics then because uh, one want to start talking about the first verse. Yeah. Do you want me to read it or? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. okay. It's a hard world to get a break in. All the good things have been taken. So what do you think about that introductory line? Pretty good, right? Like it really sets the stage. Yeah. A good first line is something maybe that they don't often, maybe a songwriter, maybe in the sixties, they did think about it quite a bit, but a first line is because we're both uh, people who dipped our toe into the poetry world. And we kind of get that sense that a really attention grabbing first line is what's something you're you're really trying to get. And that I would say is for sure. It's a hard world to get a break in followed up with all the good things have been taken. So and when the good things have been taken, what's left? The bad things, right? Yeah. That's what's left to go get. I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying it's like there's there's not much out there left to get. But there is a little bit of an implication there that we we get the sense from this singer that he's willing to do some mm-hmm. some some things that aren't uh, you, you know, morally approved of. And that's a cool thing about this song is I think most people who listen to this song and like this song, they just think of it as a song about like independence or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's almost like that born in the USA thing where Ronald Reagan would walk out to born and he's just like, yeah, he's born in the USA. That's good. Right. Even though many, many people have pointed out that the lyrics are not something that are pro USA at all. And this one too, it's like, are you because like Bruce Springsteen does this song and you can see him on stage and for sure he's like pumping his fist in the air like it's my life and I'll do it. and everyone's like yeah it's his life he can do what he wants and there's all sorts of teenagers singing the song like it's my life but if you actually read the lyrics and take the time to interpret them it's like I don't know if you want to be this guy I don't know if you yeah. want to be on his side. Yeah, this person is uh, is it's an interesting character sketch right and we get started off in this first verse it sort of then maybe in a sense is explaining there was someone on the song facts page or some page that I looked at because this song does invite a lot of people wanting to think about the lyrics and doing interpretation. So this is why when we are going to spend a a deep dive on this, uh, this would be a song where it's very, very much like a lot of people will probably even violently disagree with us, but I think they do anyways when we do this kind of stuff, but right away, those first two lines show you that this person's 
maybe giving you a sense of justification almost too of why they turn into what we find out they are as the verses continue, that there's a world of struggle. It's a hard world to get a break in. All the good things have been taken. So then moving on, but girl, there are ways to make certain things pay. Though I'm dressed in these rags, I'll wear sable someday. So great little transformation or uh, transition there between the first verse. And I guess the uh, second verse is either a second verse or a pre-chorus. So um, if we want to talk a little bit about the rags and sable line there, I think one thing you were mentioning is sable gives you a, a word that's very distinctive, very vivid, but it also puts you, makes you start thinking about like medieval kings or something like a sa- to wear sable. So the person that suggests that it's flash labels, which it clearly isn't because I went back and listened to it. He says he's, he does say wear sable. He mm-hmm. doesn't say flash. There's no flash in there at all. Flash labels is cool. You could change it to that, but where Sable has this then element of then making the character from the uh, the idea of rags to Sable put you in a more of a literary context, something that might seem old timey, you know, from rags to riches, from rags to Sable. Well, and I like the idea of putting on some kind of like really ostentatious fur coat because it's almost like an immature thing. It's very new money. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's very ostentatious and it just seems like something that a gangster would do or something or a rock star too. So this is kind of a funny song for a, a um, aspiring rock star to be singing too. And at the time the animals would have been doing this song, they would have been more aspiring rock stars than rock stars. I think uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure they were on the rise, but yeah. Okay. Um, so we're, we're, we're mixing words with context here. I like it. So, so let, should we move to this? So I would call yeah. it, I you would know, call I, it pre-course because the music has changed. I think you would call it a, another verse if the music stays the same, but the music changes here. Okay, good. So he says, hear what I say. I'm going to ride the serpent. So we got to stop that line. Yeah. <laughs> what a cool line. I'm going to ride the serpent. It's so it is probably, cool. It's probably the one line where you're like, I just cannot figure out any possible like context for this it, line. It, it just does, sounds super cool. It sounds. It, they must have just been like, I don't even know what this means, but it sure sounds cool. And it's one of the key lines of the song, absolutely. And you hear words for drug use that are like something, yeah, like something yeah. the dragon and this and that. Uh, I don't remember them, but well, the, a marijuana smoker would be called a viper back in the jazz day. So maybe it is to do with like, I'm gonna smoke some pot. I'm gonna ride the serpent, or I'm gonna do some sort of. Some sort of drug. I think you're right that you're on the right track there. But it could also be sort of like aligning yourself with the devil. Like kind mm. of, you know, like you're saying, um, because the serpent would be a word that biblically would evoke mm-hmm. the devil. Mm-hmm. So it could just be like, I am right. Like I'm riding uh. with the serpent, right? It's like you get a couple basketball players like Kyrie might say, I'm riding with Kev, you know, like he's riding with the serpent here. He's not, no longer is he a man of God. He's kind of saying that he's running with the devil, but he said yes. it in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah. I'm that, going exactly. to ride the serpent. So that there we go. That that makes it much clearer to me. And the fact that it also could then hint for a drug uh, subtext too also makes yes. it a little bit even more evil. It's definitely a line that's like within that the way he delivers it and the fact that the music changes there to that then he kissed me rifting ding 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 and they hear what i say so i like that he dresses us all as listeners directly which after you wearing sable and you're a king you now address your you've already changed your perspective of the people that you're singing to in the first two lines you're someone that's struggling and now you're giving decrees i'm gonna ride the serpent also with the yeah with the hear what i say right it's like now Mm -hmm. i'm speaking now it's my voice that's gonna be heard 
And I love the kind of loose feel of the words here, like where the rhymes just come. They feel almost random. They're de- it's like he's like spitting a sort of like uh, like po- poetry jam here all of a sudden that sort mm-hmm. of comes together with the uh, we, we're not there yet, but with the baby, baby, where he is then, um, you know, going to the melody of the the uh, then he kissed me riff with the bow, 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 baby, baby, remember, and then it really gets musical again. Then we drive into the chorus. But yeah, so ride the serpent. And then what else does he say? Well, no more time spent sweating rent. But he, if you consider that the second line of the pre-chorus, he, he does deliver that. He gives you a lot of space in between words. So I can't remember exactly how he delivers no more yeah, time it, spent. It really almost sounds a bit like rap, right? Doesn't it? Like no more time spent sweating rent. Hear my command. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm breaking loose. Ain't no use holding me down. Stick around. Uh, but of course, it, it's very much like 60s rock. So I'm just saying that, I mean, it does have a little bit of that element to it. And then this super duper cool part where they go, baby, baby, which has got to be one of the most memorable parts of the song, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of a call and response there where the band gets yeah. into it. And then you've got that rousing chorus, which it's my life and I'll do what I want. And then it's my life and I'll think what I want. There's now, some harmony there from the background vocals, right? Which the band doesn't really possibly seem able to do in the early stages of performing live because they do a somewhat well-known performance on Hullabaloo, which mm-hmm. seems to be at least partly live because it has different sounding background vocals sung by the band and they are not nailing the the harmony that, that is from here. So I, it sounds like maybe Eric Burden is multi-tracking, is one of the multi-track voices in the background. I could, mm. I can't say for sure, but, and I think probably the band is on there too, but yeah, again. Yeah, because then when he in the I guess if you the chorus is also complicated too because it it almost seems like but baby baby remember which it still isn't the chorus it's like still part of a pre-chorus mm-hmm. framework then you got it's my life and I'll do what I want it's my life and I'll think what I want and then we get to the parts where all of a sudden the character loses coherence because he because Eric Burden changes the lyrics that Roger Atkins meant because what. Eric Burden sings, show me I'm wrong, hurt me sometime, but someday I'll treat you real fine. Which all of a sudden is like, she's going to hurt him, but this guy sounds like he's, you know, a sociopath. He's been explaining himself about his, you know, braggadocio here. Yeah, so, that he's uh, going to sure. do evil things. So, and yeah, so a lot of it is sort of um sort of fake apologeticness where he's saying like, well, no matter what, I'm going to do whatever I want and you can't tell me what to do. But he's kind of saying, if you're smart, you'll stick around because y- it will pay off for you in the long run. Well, there's something curious about the fact that there's supposedly these mistaken lyrics. And this is maybe some evidence for why uh, possibly uh, he didn't like the song, Eric Burden. Because you would imagine that someone would say, maybe Roger Atkins, maybe he wasn't anywhere near the studio. Because I don't think songwriters are necessarily going to be in the studio when the band is recording a song of theirs. But... You could say someone, you could say, hey, he got the lyrics wrong. You, you need to go back in and re-record that section. And then if it obviously didn't get fixed, that suggests, well, they didn't go and bother doing that. Or they just didn't worry about the fact that the song actually does have quite a, a narrative, but this mm-hmm. seems to disrupt it, right? Show me I'm wrong, hurt me something. All of a sudden, he's the vulnerable one. But then again, I'm sure you can actually start doing some interpretation of then of how this makes him the character he is, right? Maybe he's showing some secret vulnerability and then maybe he's honest. Someday I'll treat you real fine. 
But it is strange because he's also been explaining that it's his life and he'll do what he wants. So in the context of 1965, you could see how just paying attention only to the chorus, because I, I listen to a lot of songs this way where I don't actually listen for any kind of coherent narrative. I just all of a sudden hear a cool line. I'm going to rob the serpent. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. cool. And then I like the chorus and I only, only understand the song on a kind of fragmented level. Nothing wrong with that. I think we as music fans all do. So that's my usual experience of the song. But now I'm, of course, diving deep into it and going, well, it's really strange. That's a good second layer of looking at a song's lyrics, actually, where you just look at the lines that people actually notice, which mm. would be for sure, I'm going to ride the serpent would be in there. Maybe I'll wear stable someday. And then, ba- but baby, remember, definitely would be one that would stick out. And then it's my life and I'll do it with the an- anthemic part mm-hmm. of the song right so you you gotta like a song like this that has depth it has um a pr- pretty strong narrative and it's also anthemic and mm-hmm. it's not like wussy anthemic or the kind of anthemic that gets you get really sick of it really quickly this is a, a, an anthemic song with depth yeah and the since the chorus is so sort of anthemic and has that kind of almost uplifting it it tricks you into thinking the song has a positive message yeah but it absolutely does not and it then also shows you then the possibility of this sense of individuality that might be emerging in the 60s that then you you know see in the summer of love and uh, although a lot of that has to do with collectivity and, and whatnot but uh it, it does seem to have this kind of we're coming out of this period of time the 50s conformity we're mid sixties. Now we're about to have this explosion of real like expressions of individuality. This song in a kind of sixties punk kind of uh, context really has that feel like, Oh, this song is up there with the greats, even though I think it's actually kind of an underrated song. Like it's not remembered as much as house of the rising sun. And yeah. we got to get out of this place, but this one is more, I think garagey than their other songs. And D- Dave Marsh, uh, rock writer, Dave Marsh said that it's my life was one of a wave of songs in 1965 by artists such as the Beatles stones, Bob Dylan that ushered in a new role for rock music as a vehicle for, for common perception and as a force for social consciousness, which if you, again, mm. No, if you're only listening no, to the you, chorus. Yeah, yeah, like Dave Marsh, you're making some pretty, some pretty like big statements about this without actually reading the lyrics. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be anything about social consciousness. It seems to be about a per- like one thing you no, he's, say- he he has this guy's no con con conscience. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to. It seems to be a song. I again, I was I didn't finish my because that happens a lot. Something and it's good that I get a chance to remember that I forgot to finish a thought which is that someone on the comments had pointed out like to me this song is about two guys that break out of a prison and one <laughs> guy is talking to the other guy and i really like that that fan who wrote that i think it was on youtube uh has listened to the song and created like an even like a scenario for it for this yeah. guy telling his friend now that we i can imagine them hunkering down while the lights are trying to track them and they've just gotten past you know the the wall and they're trying they're going to make their their run out of the area and he's saying it's a hard world to get a break in. He's explained to his friend, "Look, this is why I'm, I'm going to be this person that you're about to hear about. I'm, I'm going to ride the serpent. I'm not no longer be worried about usual things. I'm breaking loose. It ain't no use." And then he gets into. We haven't even got to. I guess you can call it the second verse after the chorus, where he really solidifies him being a really specific kind of sociopath or yeah. whatever. This is makes this song quite unique, I think, that he actually describes the exact kind of grift that he's about to to execute. 
Yeah, so I, I kind of like that person's scenario. I'm going to roll with it a little bit here. This maybe the, maybe the way he's he going to hurt the other person is because he's handcuffed to him. So he's like, well, I'll hurt you sometime because, well, we've, we're cuffed together. So <laughs> Yeah, I like, I like when we make literal, like vindicating my literal reading of the end of uh, 125 by The Haunted, where I, <laughs> I assert it's a twist ending and they actually are at a penny arcade. And you're supposed to go, what? oh my, like that, what a zany thing but yeah you're right here it's just like they're literally i'm gonna hurt you sometime but i also like it could be like a an 80s comedy where they're always like they they go through society together they're just hiding that they're still handcuffed oh yeah 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 that's <laughs> like, good and this, they'd have a sable coat draped over where the the handcuff chain is just to like oh we're just standing it would be a great 80s comedy it would be a lot like weekend at bernie's or something like that or i think wasn't stuck on you as in the 90s that movie where two guys were stuck together matt damon and greg kinnear this would be like that except that one guy would be like the the, the socially conscious one like hey man you shouldn't be doing these things mm. and the other guy is like that's good this guy the the voice of this song let's start writing that we'll call it of course it's my life or wear sable someday or something like that because this second verse is really speaking of 80s comedies this really is like a dirty rotten scoundrels kind of remember mm, dirty another rotten one scoundrels yeah. with uh steve martin and someone else <laughs> <laughs> yeah just like we don't know the name of the uh drummer or um new keyboard player of uh of the animals we don't know who is in dirty rotten scoundrels well we'll get emirate to look that up he'll he'll come that's hey emirate find that out um so we'll get that information very shortly well, let's talk about that then second verse, which is, you know, we've, we've already got a pretty good sense of this. Should I read the second verse now? Yes. Okay. There will be, there will be, that's hard to say. There will be. Yeah. How do you sing that? Like that? There'll be, there'll be, there'll be, there'll be women and their fortunes who just want to mother orphans, which is a cool line. It's very mm-hmm. literary. So Roger Atkins has got some real ambition. So there'll be women no wonder he's correcting people on the lyrics right he obviously like spent a long time getting these right and then people are singing them wrong he's like oh but i think one thing we've determined is daryl is a really hard word to to sing and and convincingly so it'd be good to go back and listen to how eric burden gets away with not sounding like a dork when he goes there'll be women because it sounds Mm -hmm. almost like it should be a country there'll be women and their fortunes who just want to mother orphans. And there's this is another line that a lot of people are confused about what he's saying there. But yeah. I think it's I think it's pretty uh I think we've solidified that that's what's the correct. So there'd be women and their fortunes, meaning this looks like a guy now who wants to find a woman, a rich, possibly older woman to exploit, who in turn she just wants to mother like a um an an orphan type, a naive or something, and he's gonna play that role for the woman and he's going to, squ- and then he says in the next line, the third line of the second verse, are you going to cry when I'm squeezing them dry, taking all I can get no regrets. And now this is where I'm like, I don't know if that's the end of the next, uh, the third verse or if the third verse keeps going. Cause it, there doesn't seem to be any border between the third verse and the fourth verse as I have it, or if it's just one really long verse. Now I consider this into the pre-chorus again for me. Okay, so let's just stop it there and we'll get into the next, you know, few lines after. But so he's talking about finding a woman to basically exploit financially. And, and then, then asking his girlfriend, girlfriend, his partner, like, well, are you going to are you going to feel empathy for them when I'm taking all their money? But this is the only way that we're going to get ahead in this world. And... Well, yeah, I, I almost see the 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 actual fact that he's doing the second person. There. Are you going to cry? He's maybe even just talking to like 
the us, the listener, right? Are you gonna cry? Mm, okay, that's interesting. them dry. Uh, taking all I can get, no regrets. But yeah, you're right. You could see it all kinds of ways here. But it's just like confronting you as a listener. Are but because you- he does start addressing the girl later on in that yeah. pre-course, because he says, "Girl, throw out any doubts." Well, w- with the so girl go out handed out. I almost think he's talking about the women that he's in the first line talked about going to, they're going to give away their money and he's going to take it. He's squeezing them dry. That's how I hear it. But I mean, it's just, I think of these things you just have, we each have sort of individual ways of. Well, I don't understand what you're saying. So I'm saying that when he says, are you going to cry? You're saying that he could be addressing the audience, but I'm saying that in a few lines later, he says he's addressing the girl who he was talking to earlier in the song. Uh, yeah, okay, sure. I just that's just not how I receive it myself. So what girl is he speaking to? Which one what are you talking about here? Uh, so I'm talking so he says, Can you believe I ain't no saint, no complaints? Then he says, So girl, throw out any doubts. Yeah, so what are you asking me? Yeah, I was saying that you were saying he was addressing the audience, but I was saying he may be addressing the girl because he seems to take well, that I, I've action there I've, and you said we were talking about two different things. I've forgotten that he does address the girl in the first verse, but I've moved on to then hearing I was starting. So what I was explaining is that I had then started now liking this listener's interpretation. Oh, <laughs> so I'm still going with that. So I haven't <laughs> okay, gone right. back to, okay. 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 Yeah. Good. So I'm still, I'm still imagining that they're maybe not necessarily literally handcuffed to each other, but that there's a person <laughs> being addressed who is a sort of like, here's, so here's how I think of it. I mean, it's obvious that he is addressing a girl because he does that in the first line. So I had kind of like lost that that little thread there but um he is talking to someone so i guess that this is a different interpretation which we haven't like specified hey, and is- if it was the two convicts then the first line it's a hard world to get a break in could also be a play on words that because they were break breaking yeah. well, out yeah. of prison i think that's why the person because he says i'm breaking loose it ain't no use so that would be also where that person probably got it from but here's you're 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 putting forward a reading that i also like now which i hadn't thought about which is that it's a guy who's got a girlfriend and he's, he's justifying to his girlfriend specifically, this is how I'm going to cheat on you. I'm going to go out and find other women to, so you need to understand here's my reasonings. And she's crying probably and going, all right, I understand. Cause he's just such a, an awful person. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely how I read it. And that's part of why I was thinking like, man, this is the song that people are like pumping their fist in the air to and, and getting audiences to chant along with them. It's like, don't don't chant along with this guy. He's a real asshole. And obviously, like one of the more selfish characters in in rock and roll narratives, I would say that he's just really out for himself. And yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So that, so there's that one. That's more, that's more emphasized now. That's more of the idea of like this guy. So it's emerging that this is probably the more sort of uh, reasonable reading is that this is a guy who's talking to his girlfriend explaining exactly why he is going to cheat on her. But Hey, I'm doing it because we need to make this kind of money. We need to do this. We need to take, we're people who are having to struggle in this world. So let's take advantage of the people who have more than us. But in the meantime, she the girl of verse one and then in verse two is going to be, oh, she's not actually mentioned in verse two. She's mentioned in verse three, if we want to call that, but anyways, we're getting bogged down here. I think it's, I think it's just that it's absolutely true that this is t- someone <laughs> who is talking about how he's going to be doing bad things and justifying them. Uh, and then, then saying squeezing them dry. I think in the 
lyrics, if you refer to song facts, it is the completely incoherent squeeze in the rye, which makes no sense yeah. unless it's just him drinking, right? But this is a song you have to really watch out for people wanting to put forward their lyrics, the ones that they think are right. But taking all I can get, no regrets. And then he moves into this, then the transition then, I guess, to the pre-chorus. When I openly lie and live on their money, believe me, honey, that money. Then he just kind of starts saying things. Can you believe I ain't no saint? No complaints. He just seems to actually kind of stop a line of like an actual coherent sentence just to say words. Now. Yeah. And that's the one that's even more than when I was talking about it sounding more like just kind of spoken word or poetry or some kind of like rapping where it's just kind of like n- doesn't follow the cadence of a regular rock and roll lyric at all there. So this is why I was a bit confused because then he says in that last part, so girl go out and it sounds like he says hand it out. Uh, I think other people are thinking he says other things. There's also people saying live on their money is something else. Well, what I saw written was so girl throw out any doubts. But Hmm. I don't think that was from me listening. I think I just took that from it was written somewhere. Uh, I see. Because when I have – here's why I was confused. I have my hearing of it is so girl go out, hand it out, which makes me think of the woman that's – of the women and their fortunes. So go out and hand it out to – wait. Uh, waifs like me who are going to just go ahead and exploit you anyways it's a two-way you know that i'm mm. disappointing you but you've got something you know in return which is pr- the companionship of a rake like myself so that's that's a good word i think for this character he's a rake mm-hmm. and he's explaining his life philosophy here possibly to his girlfriend um but to us the listener who's just going huh this guy's bad this is a bad guy if we actually pay attention and then he to it's almost like he hypnotizes us by having this really cool chorus and we go, Oh, I'll just sing along to it. And forget all about this guy. <laughs> Cause it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Which is really, really quite rhetorically clever. It's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to convince you that uh, I'm going to tell you what it is I'm doing to you, but then I'm just going to go ahead and you're going to believe me anyways, or forget all about it because of the fact that I've got this really effective, beautiful chorus, which in a sense means nothing. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 And I'll do it on. It's just explaining this is what's behind my individuality or my uh, philosophy of life. And this is actually, huh, you should be critical of it. Maybe that's what Roger Atkins is actually getting at. Really clever, I think. Yeah, I agree. And it's possible because this song does get covered uh, on, a, on a number, on a few different occasions. Uh, if I didn't totally look into like how many covers are because this isn't that type of episode where we're going through all the different cover versions. But it, the ones that I saw were all by male performers so maybe some female performers who like the song got the lyrics out and they and read them through and they're like i'm not singing this this yeah, <laughs> this yeah, guy's hey. a jerk yeah well so it's hard to say things like uh uh all if you want to it's now now there's a challenge out there to write a song with the word daryl but to put it at the end of a line and then of mm. course you rhyme it with daryl that's the only word right daryl the robot boy that's just what to say exactly <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, the digital analog robot youth light form or whatever it was. <laughs> so, so basically we've gone through the lyrics of the song. I think we've kind of like done a good uh, analysis of the character that's behind this, uh, this anthem of individuality. And we see that it's actually hiding some really um, kind of sociopathic behavior. So we've now destroyed a lot of people's beliefs in what that song was. And I think that's a good thing for us to do. I think it's already a textbook thing to do. Not to say that it hadn't textbook. been, but Hey, should we move on to the next song? Or do you have any final thoughts on, on animals? It's my life. 
No, I, I found I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed the unfolding, how the, the song opened itself to us like a flower. Exactly. Well, it also caused it caused rifts in our um, interpretative. So we had like a, a moment there of, of confusion, of uh, conflict. And that's what this song's going to do to you. It's going to ruin your life and ruin your friendships. But it's good that we pursued because I thought we got a better reading of the song because we didn't we, we didn't allow the confusion to like. Uh, we didn't just go go. We didn't do what most um, pro athletes would do: is just go like, "Well, it is what it is." Pro it's athletes love that. It, yeah, or it's all love. <laughs> got to the bottom of it. We were like, yeah. "No, let's get to the bottom of it." Okay, so um, yeah, you go ahead and introduce the next song. Okay, so we're still, of course, keeping in mind that these these are songs that are about life, various ways that you can live it. So obviously, when we talk about this at the end of the time, we're going to talk about our favorite song, not so much in Bo Diddley Award terms of which one's flipping or winning, but which one espouses the philosophy of life that we most aspire to. So this next song, it's going to give us a different perspective on life. It's by another band we've done before. This is the Q65 from Holland, and it's their song from 66 called The Life I Live. Jokes with it. We smoke and drink all night. 
That was the Q65 with The Life I Live from 1966. We've talked about them before. They're from Holland. I've got the actual names of all the band members, but we'll dole them out as we talk about them. Uh, I'm going to throw it to Eric to start talking about the song, its philosophy of life, a philosophy of life and the way it sounds. Yeah, I love the sound, especially of the guitars in this song. Well, I guess everything, because certainly those kind of twangy guitars that are a little bit jangly, and they're not really dirty, distorted guitars like you were going to hear a lot more around, you know, 67, 68, even uh, as people started to use fuzz pedals and stuff, too. Then things got really filthy at that time. And these are these more like kind of cranked Fender or crank Vox sort of sounds. Those are the names of amps. And you, you would get and they've got a couple guitar players in this band. But, yeah, I just really like the riffs. And, of course, it comes in with that riff, which I believe you um, I'm sort of stealing your point here, but I have to to get to the next point is you had said that this has another bit of a spy feel to it. So you had mm -hmm. mentioned that the previous the song that we just did, It's My Life by the Animals, had a bit of a spy feel to their riff. And so this one, too, does. And now this one does have a riff that moves up a semitone, which is a characteristic thing about spy films. And we, because we are so textbook, uh, pointed out in our episode about music that was either from spy movies or referred to spy movies or just said or was by a band called James Bond. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, pointed out that those semitone riffs could be this sort of um, evoking, like sneaking along, sneaking along, going like uh, sort of cautiously. Mm -hmm. uh, furtiveness. Furtiveness there. Thank you, Weldon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, another thing that this evokes to me is a jailhouse rock type riff, except in a Ooh. more menacing kind of way, right? Because something like jailhouse rock really has that, bunum, bunum, went to a party in a county jail, bunum, except this doesn't have like there when it goes, bunum, and then the lyrics kind of come in double time what you think they might with the riff. This one, these lyrics are not being spit so quickly uh, because, you know, he comes in with the sitting in my chair when thank you. And then you get that really cool lead guitar that comes like, uh, so great feel and like a minor feel song, a song that has a, a minor feel. So it has um, s maybe a little bit melancholy, uh, but not not angry, not menacing, really. How would you describe the mood? Uh, well, you know what? I'm, I'm just starting to think about how this song is about a, a bit of a reversal of the song we just listened to. And part of me is starting to think, I wonder if this song might be even a little bit of a response to It's My Life, because it begins with a character who's saying things that are about sort of having this, like, I'm going to take what I want kind of style. Of. So can I actually start talking about the lyrics? But uh, we'll still, I'll, I'll keep, I'll put a pin, as they say, in meetings in what you just asked and, uh, and talk about then the tone or the mood of the song. Yeah. Because I think it starts off a bit more like, okay, this is a song with a character very much like the rake we just had. Cause he goes, and of course, well, th this guy's already a thoughtful character, right? Cause when he, cause he's like thinking. right from the, yeah, this is what he's doing at the beginning of the song, sitting in his chair and thinking he, he's, he's Descartes. TV or, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a statement of self here. Yeah. So sitting. And of course the thing we love about Ville Beeler, it's Cartesian. Yeah, it's Cartesian, and then uh, it's also like Montaigne. You know, Cartesian, as I say. damn it. Uh, yeah. Yes, like Montaigne well, I as say, well. I say Cartesian because I just hear people talking about Cartesian wells. So Sounds I just good say to me. Um, but uh, so we also like the way he says words because instead of, you know, if we were to sing it, sitting in my chair, he goes, sitting in my chair, I think. It sounds like he to, says, sitting in my chair, like, I think. To me, it sounds like chairwand, chairwand, sitting, sitting in my chairwand, thinking. He's, 
he's got some uh some interesting and it might just because of the fact that he's uh, a non-native speaker and we've talked about this already in uh in our discussion of the q65 uh that we like this aspect of a, a, a person who's singing in a second language but creates like interesting royalettes because of it so it, to me it sounds like he's sitting in my cherry thinking you know which doesn't make any sense so sitting in my chair i'm thinking so yes he's a he's a thoughtful reflective person thinking of the crowd i'm in with thinking of the music i make this is actually kind of <laughs> postmodern, right like I, I like how he's sitting thinking of the music he makes like and kind of he doesn't i wish he'd go into more detail like what are you thinking about it what are you thinking it's, about it's, the music it's really evocative because it makes me think of will beelers himself so it's that's why i think it's postmodern. i think it's will beelers and the character in the song is the lead singer of q65 will beelers will beelers and he's singing sitting in my chair i'm thinking and so i imagine him sitting there and he's just you hey i wonder what will is thinking thinking of the crowd a minute thinking of the music i make and all the things I don't want to give. But this this is pretty unique, right? Because then later in the song, he talks about being at Jope's wedding. And we'll get there. So I don't want to jump ahead. No, he speaks about being on Jope's wedding. <laughs> being on, yeah. Sorry, being on Jope's very different. <laughs> yeah. And to talk about something like that in a song, that's really unusual. And when we talked about the Q65 song from above, we remarked mm-hmm. on how this guy is actually a pretty poetic writer. Um, so... Mm. I'd be curious to know how these guys felt about Vil Beelers as a songwriter at this time. If they were really like, man, Vil can can write a song. Because uh, I really like actually what, what he, how he's weaving these lyrics together. And I think it is just all that more interesting because of the, the unusual language choices. So, yeah, if we take that as the first verse, uh, those first four lines, we could say that we've got a character who in the first three lines is just being reflective of, you know, just himself. He's thinking about himself and the life he lives, literally. And then he says, and all the things I don't want to give. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that line? All the things I don't want to give. What do you? Well, then that's when he starts to me almost then starting to transform into the rakish character that we had in It's My Life. It's a similar character. Because then if you consider the next four lines, the second verse, the first two lines of the second verse are, well, I take everything I want. Right. So he sort of, st- actually, that's a nice little flip. Of yeah, mood yeah. because he starts out being this reflective man that that people are like oh what a nice sensitive young man sitting in his chair thinking thinking of his friends thinking of his of his music and then he kind of makes a decision and his decision is not to be a good man it's to just like go out and get get what he wants and maybe to be in a rock band and to pursue that at this time you had to have this attitude a little bit because a lot of people might have been saying like don't go this way however be a bank clerk yes yeah 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 Yeah. although we talked about a lot of bands where the parents were really supportive (laughs) yeah yeah true still true there could have been that thing right where you had to have this attitude where you're like i don't care what people say i'm going out i'm gonna take it um but i think he's i switches it back in the second verse because then he goes well mm. i take everything i want the girls are fighting for me and then you go, okay, all right. So this guy's now like, yep, we're back into that rakish character. But every time that I take one, they're one, in one girl, simply. Well, every time, yeah, every time that he takes one girl that yeah. that are fighting for him, then then they're whenever he tries to take one, they're indisposed. Poor old me. So then it's now he's a shaggy dog. He's turned into a different mm-hmm. guy. Now it's yeah. like, oh, he's going to do the thing where every time I try to do something good, it's almost like he's a chaplain or a or you know one of those kind of uh, underdog characters. Because now he's a rock star. He's taking everything he wants, even girls that are fighting for him. But as soon as he takes one, they go, oh, no, ne- nah, never mind. And he's like, aw, and he's kicking the dirt, you know. Yeah, that's so, back so in his I'm chair. Like, 
So as a as a listener, you're like, I don't I don't have a handle on this character because he starts off thinking philosophically about the the life he's living. Then he starts to espouse the sort of individual kind of sociopathic life. And now we just see him as a shaggy dog kind of. Well, and it has to go that way, right? Because the chorus starts with, well, this is my life of sadness. So it wouldn't work mm-hmm. as a narrative if the last line was like, and then we go fall in love. Well, this is my life of sadness. So it has to have a twist there. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Because the chorus is, this is my life of sadness. This is the life I live. This is my life of gladness. This gladness. is the life I live. So, but it really is just a simple binary. Hey, life yeah. is sad and life is happy. Right. You're going to have ups and downs. And, and hey, but- that's the life I live. So very simple. That's the life everybody lives. But he's actually just taking a very, um, it, it, that's a very healthy view of yeah. life. I guess. Even as a rock star, I get girls throwing themselves at me. Then I t- pick the one I want and she goes, oh. Never mind. It's almost like he ex- he notices girls want us because we're rock stars. They scream for us. As soon as I actually take pick one of them, literally, I imagine him pointing at one of them and beckoning her. And she goes, oh, no, I I have some self-respect. I'm not just going to go sleep with some rock <laughs> she, she realizes, look, this is just a performance. I'm screaming to your music. And then we've talked about the Q65 being kind of like a band of ugly dudes. You know, no offense, Key 65. Like, uh, you know, you haven't seen pictures of us. So, you know, obviously they, they'd be shocked to see how handsome we are but we've been watching the video of them the life i live does have a video clip and they're kind of a strange bunch of shaggy dog looking guys yeah they're they're they're, their grill is kind of all over the place you know (laughs) yeah 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 and uh and uh, and the video they're acting like total twits like they're just acting like (laughs) like it's almost like they're acting like uh the beatles in hard day's night but like but like a different kind of like are you guys okay? Like, uh, are you going through <laughs> withdrawal or something? Like, what's going on in this video? But anyways, it's it's still funny. They're still cavorting. But I think they're kind of acknowledging, like, you know what? It's not really like being a rock star is really that. Because you have to th- think about whether or not you're making the music you want. Like, imagine what Radiohead feels like going, oh, my God, we just spent 25 years making this terrible, pretentious music. <laughs> and when it comes right down to it, we just want to go, da da because who wouldn't want to just make cool songs like that so they're espousing a certain kind of philosophy of life which is hey a certain stoicism here possibly you could be saying is their philosophy because there's a reason that when yahoo Sirius plugs in his guitar he doesn't play paranoid android you know (laughs) exactly (laughs) but uh should we get to that because the lyrics are so notable because he gets more verses here so I really like the next, uh, the next. I guess I'll call it the third verse. I don't know. Last week, I went to the graveyard. My dog was killed by a car. Feel the pain. The that's pain why I laughed when he said his dog was killed by a car. But the lyrics are so good. That's why I laughed. Sorry, well. But it, it, is, it is kind of a bluesy thing, right? Don't, don't you remember there was a right, song by yeah. Nazareth? That's that a good Na- point. Yeah. Nazareth has that song, woke up this morning, my dog was dead. So it's it's got that kind of like making fun of the blues, you know. Oh, my dog is dead. My wife mm-hmm. left me. So that feels like what. The, but I love and the. It is a really out. really shitty thing to happen, but kind of a different kind of shitty than having like, you know, a family member pass away or something. Like when your pet dies, it's like, man, this stinks. But you still kind of have to go to work and stuff. Maybe not in twenty twenty two. You can make <laughs> off work for anything. But yeah, uh, yeah you, you well, know what I mean. Now in twenty twenty two, if some famous like YouTuber's dog dies, I'm thinking about like calling in sick I'm like, oh man <laughs> and we're that guy yeah yeah i i know i i almost didn't come in myself it's well, an it's actually a national a week day if you morning. need 
because that guy's <laughs> dog died. And so we're flying the flags at half mast. Hey, we're not making fun of the contemporary era. We're saying we're part of it here. But I love it. Yeah, last week I went to the graveyard. So he, he, he buried his dog in. My dog was killed by a car. Feel the pain. The pain is started. He's dead, but friends, we still are. <laughs> I love that. I love that because now it's like, even though his dog is dead and he feels the pain, he's still friends with his dog. It's almost like, is it a ghost dog now? Is he being followed around by a little ghost version of his puppy well, or what? I also want to point out what I mentioned to you before is that generally you don't go to a graveyard because your dog was killed by a car. Like one, like I guess there is probably pet cemeteries out there i've never seen one i don't know where they are no i know there are because there's like a, there's a documentary there's a, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. a documentary called pet cemetery uh i believe uh from 19 the, the errol morris one isn't called pet cemetery it's called <laughs> oh i was joking i was talking about oh. stephen king oh so that's just fiction oh yeah no i think errol morris has a documentary called uh have it's it's not heaven's gate i've got there's two films that have similar names but anyways oh, okay. i'll get emmer sorry emirate i'll get emirate oh, yeah look we later. were supposed to what was that i get was supposed to get emirate to look up earlier i can't even remember now emirate's kind of on a smoke break or something right now anyways emirate loves to smoke so uh yeah so he goes to the graveyard whether he's there burying his dog or he just goes there because he's feeling sad and he thinks that's the place to go i don't know maybe he goes to a human graveyard just buries his dog there i mean this character might do that and they're like hey you know you can't just dig a hole in the ground he's like well i've got rex here so um and then says feel the pain the pain is started yeah and having a pet die is awful awful uh and then you're right what a great line he is dead but friends, we still are. A- any other thoughts on that line? Well, I always love lines where you uh, completely ruin the syntax of a normal grammatical sentence just in, in just to rhyme, which they do in poetry. It's it's like usually a sign of bad poetry, but it works so well here. He's dead, but friends, we still are. Because, of course, we never would say it like that usually in English. Like, friends, we still are. We're still friends. But it works because, he. first of all, it's Will Beeler's. He does what he wants. Um, just like it's my life. But I love the idea that he loves his dog so much that he would put him in a graveyard, but that he's also got a little ghost dog following around. I'm turning the song into like something kind of like cartoonish now. And I'll mention that it fits in with the sadness gladness theme of the Mm -hmm. chorus, right? Because there's the sadness of the dog being killed, the pain he feels, but there's the gladness of the the friendship with the dog and the ongoing, the the Mm -hmm. memories he has of the dog, which still bring him happiness yeah yeah so uh the verses are really backing up uh that this song has a stance now it's quite different from it's my life i feel like he teased us a bit at the start that this was going to be a song about a like a sociopathic rock star now it's about just how life can take and give you know however i think this is a thing with people who sort of don't have a lot of um, a lot of empathy with other human beings is that they gravitate to animals because and they, mm-hmm. they see other human beings as all sort of tainted by as sinners, people who are all have this guilt and they can do whatever because they all have this guilt. But animals they see as innocent. Animals don't have this um, original sin that, that humans have. So I think there's a little bit of that here as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And of course, you know, uh, uh, a dog will probably, no matter if you what kind of a bad person you are, like if you're the person in It's My Life, a dog is still going to be very loyal to you because the dog doesn't really know what how to judge you on those kinds of uh, criteria. So here we go. Uh, the dog's never go. indisposed, right? If you want to hang out with the dog. 
Unless he's been hit by a car, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's your sadness part there. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about then, I guess, I don't know, let's call it the third verse. And uh, uh, we love this line so much that you've used it as shtick uh, back in the episode where we yeah. talked about uh, Q65. So uh, the From Above episode, he says, Sunday we played in a dancing. The public was very down, but it didn't bore us a thing. Because we smoked ourselves a kick. So first of all, there's no rhyming at all there. There's also a verb tense error. Because well, I what do a, a dancing of... and thing are like a hudibrastic. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So maybe that's why there's a, a what what I assume to be a verb tense error in the first line of that verse is actually like you say, just a, well, look, I've got a I've got to rhyme something with thing. So Sunday <laughs> we played in a dancing. So you can tell that one thing about learning another language is that you're going to have problems with things like prepositions. So we would say Sunday we played at a dance. But would this song be any uh, even twice as uh, half as good as it is if it was literally correct? Because no, it's so great. Sunday we played in a dancing. It's like how baffled we are when we talk about From Above in at least one, maybe just one, I think it was just one of the bands that did a cover. They changed the word quarrely to quarrelsome. And we were like, why would you do that? You have you had what could have been a great version, but you changed yeah. quarrely to quarrelsome. And quarrely is one of the royalettes of the song. Well, this is clearly a royalette when you say Sunday we played in a dancing and if someone was to cover this song and again I actually didn't check and see if there were covers of the song Weldon maybe you know but I think there are I think there are yeah, yeah. I, think it's, I think some garage bands know and actually what I think you got to go check is make sure they don't change it because yeah. man if you change it Sunday we played in a dance then you're going to have a problem because how are you going to say it didn't bore us a thing mm-hmm. right I don't know what so we actually should find that out. That's another thing we should get Emirate to do. Man, he's got a lot of work to do. Plus, <laughs> he's we, sweating we, right now. Well, he's okay because he, we keep forgetting. Cigarettes. We keep forgetting what it is we send him off to do. So <laughs> he just doesn't do it, and he's like, "They're not going to remember. Those guys are drinking. They're rummies. He's, he's singing this song with different lyrics. We're like, "They sent me to do some research. I couldn't find the information out." But they forgot about it because they're, <laughs> whatever. But uh, so so the the line here seems to, the verse here seems to be about they played at a show, but the crowd wasn't interested. The public was very down, but it didn't bother them, or as they say, it didn't bore us a thing. So do you because, think by bore us he means bother us, or because yeah. I kind of took it as yeah that sounds right. I didn't read it that way, but that makes sense because here's the way that I originally read it is that Sunday they played at the dance, but the audience was very non-receptive or unreceptive mm-hmm. to their to their music. Mm-hmm. And they, you can get bored in that situation, but they didn't get bored because they had smoked a joint and it made them have fun regardless. Yeah, and kick must be another word, at least their own word. Maybe it's Dutch slang for a joint, but I've never heard it before. Yeah. We smoked ourselves a kick. But it sounds cool, and that's all. Cool. Really much. And it does turn the song into a little bit of like, oh yeah. So this song's got a little bit of like, uh, you know, that menacing guitar tone. Which we're getting back to that question that I put a pin in. There is a sort of menacing tone, but it's really mitigated by the fact that you've got this goofiness of the lyrics. But then at the same time, these guys are kind of like dirtbag punk rock and rollers, right? They smoke drugs. We've seen them cavorting on the beach in the video, and they look like. They're all wearing like sweaters and stuff. Like, I guess it looks like it's kind of a cool day at the beach. They look like they're not worried about being mods. Let's say the Q65. They look a bit sloppy. They look a bit dingy. So these guys are kind of like, you know, bad rock and roll dudes. And they're, oh yeah, they are smoking dope. And then think about it. They're riding the serpent. 
Well, here's the, here's the thing is that I've pointed out before that you take a, a song title like The Life I Live. It could be like a really goofy song title because it's just like, well, yeah, what are you saying there? The life I live. It just, it just means nothing. Everyone's living the life you live, really. But it does mean something because with all these songs, really, and with any rock song where you talk about the life you live or live in your life, you're generally talking about, as the Beach Nuts would say, your iconoclastic life. You're generally mm-hmm. saying, hey, I don't live that um, you know, I'm, I'm saying this tongue in cheek, but I don't live that I'm going to be in the cubicle from nine to five. And then I've got my wife and kids and my dog. He doesn't have dogs. The dog died. Uh, he's like, I live this different kind, this alternative lifestyle, right? So anytime in a rock song, when you're a rocker and you sing about the life you live, you're saying, Hey, it's different than maybe yeah. the expected life or the approved life. And notice how much of it's about hanging out with his band. Cause he's thinking of the yeah. crowd. I mean, with, which is a big probably- part of your life when you're in a band, like that's a, that is, it's a relationship, right? It is a, a relationship yeah. that really characterizes so in the, the existence. In the early verse, the first verse he says, I'm sitting in my chair. You can imagine him sitting there looking at his bandmates going, what am I doing with these guys? Thinking of the crowd. <laughs> I mean, thinking of the music I make going like, maybe I could be doing something like different than this. These band. guys aren't very good looking. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Should I join another band? So, <laughs> so then, uh, then of course, then he's talking about then in that verse that about, uh, playing at a show where you just don't get the rest. Also the fact that the girls are screaming for you, but then you can't get there indisposed when you want them. And then I guess we could move on to the next verse here, which yeah, is. Yeah, let's. This, so well, we should say that they modulate after smoked ourselves a kick. True. And I think, I don't know if it's at this point before the, I think I'm calling it the third verse after the second time they've done the chorus, there is a harmonica break too. Okay. So yeah, they modulate, then they sing the chorus again, then they modulate again, I believe. And then there's a harmonica solo, which reminds me vaguely of the one, two, five of, of one, two, five. Mm. Um, and then there's a stop. And then I didn't get the guitar out to like check some of the stuff, but then I think they modulate back. Mm. Um, and then, but there seems to be another modulation and then they go into the, I had a girl verse if you want to go through that verse or if you want to say stuff about that in between stuff that's fine too no i just thought we should acknowledge it that it's cool rock garage stuff that we otherwise people will say we missed it right and then oh no we know that there's a cool harmonic break at 157 of the song but then he moves in because we're talking about the lyrics here but we're talking about philosophies of life here so we gotta we gotta bang on about that he says i had a girl and i loved her she knows she knows i still do and here's another royalette but she married with the Richmond. She married with a Richmond, but the things she wants, he can't do. So uh, that's he, that's a great that's a great verse there. I actually even looked up like the idea, or like what it's called when someone does that that has that whistling s, and it's called sigmatism. Oh, so he he's and, and they say it's really uh, it can be uh, the real evidence that someone has is it, it when if they're ever speaking into a microphone and you can hear Will Beeler clearly has this tendency at several points in any song you listen to these guys the s will be whistled and it comes off really obvious there. I noticed there's some sibilance to this song. I didn't notice mm-hmm. it in every time I listened, but this time when we were listening on YouTube, for sure, I was like, oh man, there's some sibilance here. Uh, and it's uh, I, and they probably didn't, I mean, this is probably a semi, like a little bit of a lo-fi-ish recording and they, they wouldn't have been like, let's put the de-esser on this. Uh, on well, th- yeah. 
And also he's got something that I don't know, I, I should look up linguistically what it is when you've got a little bit of a, it's almost like another kind of lisp where it, he didn't say the two R's in Mary. He says Maweed. It sounds like he says Maweed. Yeah, it sounds like Maweed to me, which reminds me of that like famous scene in Princess Bride where the, the priest is like Mewage. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a lot of uh, what's the pleasure of Will Beeler's vocals is that he's got a, a unique sense of of enunciating, he, and that just makes it really fun to listen to him. Say, oh, Richman, he, he's just a Royalette machine. He's got like a crank on the side of him, and you turn it, and Royalettes just like spit out of Will Beeler. Sort of like uh, Bill Dalton of the Chantels, who who yes. isn't necessarily doing it through uh, any kind of potential you know, speech impediments but he's doing it through just swaggering every line in a certain way what if they could do a duet that would be amazing obviously not enough duets in garage rock in the 60s that's probably because none of these bands were famous so there was never any idea yeah they they didn't go what if we could get together and do a song they'd be like well no one would care because no one really (laughs) listens to us also, the Bill Dalton of the Chantels is a teenage kid from Michigan, and these guys are <laughs> disreputable adults from uh, young adults. They could have gone over to Michigan in a rubber dinghy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that's the story we were talking about. And you'll have to go back and listen to our uh, From Above episode to, to get that story. Uh, so get those downloads going. We need, we need it. We need to get to, uh, I think it's a million listens we're getting close to now. That sounds, that sounds right. That sounds right. It could, there could be a couple extra zeros in there, but... But yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. But anyways, uh, so so in this line, he's talking about a girl that he loved and she got married to someone else. But the things she wants, he can't do. Sounds sexual to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like this this rich guy can't do what Vil can do. I don't think he's talking about like he can't write a great song or 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 anything. I think that is a sexual thing for sure. Uh, And yeah. And again, you've got the gladness and the sadness all mixed in the complexity of life um, that he lost his girl. And Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not stated, and they don't come back to this in the song, but it seems implied that there's she's either coming back or even though she's, like, living with him or whatever, she comes back for, like, the booty calls, right? So there's still he, – he seems to know that there's still something there. But a, a woman that marries a rich man for his money, even though he can't – Risman, uh, sorry, perform <laughs> the way she would want. At, she's presumably young and, and virile. Oh, yeah, um, they're married. I kind of forgot about that element of it. It does yeah. make me think of it's another inverse of the guy, uh, the song we just listened to. It's yes, my life where yeah. now we've got a woman doing that kind of thing that that now guy she can doing. support him probably because she's got all the money from the Reesman. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jonathan Richmond, she married with a rich man. She <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> like, wait, I thought you were a rich man. Like, no, no, no well, I'm. I'm actually uh, Jonathan Richmond. But we know that Jonathan Richmond's a virile guy that he could do what she wants because, yeah. you know, we're not, we're, we revere Jonathan Richmond. So we do not want to make any aspersions, but let's get, that line is kind of like there, but I think we need to get to the, the last verse. Cause we really like this last verse. Yeah. Once we were on Jope's wedding. So Jope is the actual guitar, the lead guitar player, Jope Roloffs. He's the guy playing lead guitar. And so again, it, it reinforces this song. The characters in this song are Will Beeler's thinking about his actual band because he makes an actual reference to Jope. Unless he's talking about another Jope, it is apparently a fairly common name in uh, in Holland. But I would like to think that 
this is actually just a documentary kind of song, which is rare for the 60s we've already kind of mentioned. It's got to be, because even if there were a lot of jopes, if you had a guy named Jope in your band, I don't think you would mention a different jope in a song. That would be weird. That, that's like me on the podcast break, talking about Weldon and it's some other Weldon. Weldon. Well, I mean, what you could do in a song is like, once we were on Jope's wedding, no relation. You just have to have like someone come in and like explain like in a kind of footnote, but in a singing footnote. That the joke that's being mentioned isn't the one that's in the band. So you would just have to have <laughs> someone sing in it. the band, but another joke. <laughs> so, so clearly it's interesting too, because the verse we just kind of passed over quickly, but uh, we have to, because we've got two other songs after this is uh, this is another marriage thing, right? So yeah, left uh, that kind of left him. Bill's uh, Beelers can really write some lyrics. Let me tell you. He knows how to be uh, consistent here. So once we were on Jope's wedding, we smoked and drank all night at 12. And he and says it kind of like dwank, dwank. We smoked and dwank all night. All night. And then and the way a he couple says of that, hi-hat closes after that, it's like a... Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then uh, he says at 12, we were thrown out. But the way he sings it as at 12, we were thrown out. It's actually impossible to know what he's actually singing. Because <laughs> it's partly garage rock enunciation plus the yeah. fact that he's not singing in his native language. So it makes for a very interesting at 12 way. Wow. Song owl. Was you wear a joke swimming? We smoked and drink all night. At 12 we were told out. Because the house, the house was changed to a crowd. It's hard to know exactly what he's trying to get. It almost seems like he's attempting a surrealist image here. Like they were sitting around at a wedding. So they must have been in some sort of house, some sort of building. But they got thrown out at 12, which I would assume is midnight, not 12 p.m. Because people right. don't get married yeah. in the morning. Although there's a song, I'm getting married in the morning. So some people do get married in the morning. Probably I don't know. Because they had heard this song and they were like. Oh, <laughs> so but you can't get married too late because you'll get thrown out and the house will change to a crowd. So mm. it just sounds like what he's trying to say is the house then ended up getting overrun with other people. I said, yeah. but it's, I still think he's trying to say that the house has changed. It stopped being a house and it became a crowd of people. <laughs> like that's what, that, that's what it seems like to me that there's an attempt at a surrealist Benjamin Perret style, like something became something else, like the dream logic of surrealism. That's maybe, um, again, I'm probably looking too hard at it, but what else do we do on this podcast but look too hard and find really insane possible interpretations? And I suspect that he is going for it. That's just my view. He's trying for something. But the house was changing the crowd. At any rate, they got basically booted from this, their own wedding. Like, there's nothing more humiliating than getting booted out of your own wedding. Yeah, it's Jope's wedding. He yeah. got thrown hey. out. Yeah. Hey, and not only that, I'm Jope. I'm in Q65. We're not popular. <laughs> yeah, even man. if it wasn't his wedding. <laughs> like, you can't just throw me out. So again, it's back to, this is your life of sadness. They smoked too many kicks, and then this is what happened. Well, you can see why they would have been thrown out of their own wedding, because they probably were being, you know, reprobates and smoking mm -hmm. kicks and uh and we've already found out that they've got some questionable behaviors but i do like that this song then creates a more of a shaggy dog story kind of narrative than the one with it's my life where you've got the person where you're like hmm but it as we said with it's my life it really does create this uh tension between the chorus which seems so liberating and the verses which are actually quite like hey what a character sketch of a terrible person but also explains a little bit of why the person might be terrible this is just about hey even if you're in a rock band you're gonna still suffer the slings and arrows of life 
maybe the house changing to a crowd is a statement about like a mob mentality, like mm. comparing the individualistic attitude of the singer to like people in the crowd, like throwing them out because everyone stops thinking as individuals and they turn into this like sort of m- mass. Uh, and then the interesting thing that being in a band makes you sort of be like an interesting kind of almost, you know, how, like maybe the idea of marriage here is like when you're in a band with, because when you're in a marriage, you're considered legally, like in some ways, one person, right? Mm-hmm. And so here as a band, you become one unit, one Right, person. yeah, they're comparing these two relationships. Yeah, I think so. I think that that's a good idea there. And so, but at the same time, the the idea here is no matter what, especially if you're a Dutch rock band, probably, you're not going to get as much um, reverence and hero worship as you would maybe if you were the Rolling Stones, because you mm-hmm. get thrown out of your own wedding, the girls that you pick... <laughs> The groupies that you pick will end up going, well, actually, I can't sleep with you right now. You're like, but you're right. in the crowd. <laughs> can't you just go, no, no, I got to go now. I got to do laundry. Oh, man. So yeah. I love that that's what this song is is telling you is like, hey, you're still going to have fun, but it's going to be like there. It's basically one of those songs like, hey, rock and roll isn't what you think it is, man. That's part of what the lyrics seem to be about. And again, the sadness, gladness, because we have the gladness of the wedding. We have the gladness of the smoking and drinking all night. But then we have the sadness of getting thrown out. But of course, getting thrown out is also a great joy as well. Because you get to tell the story. Exactly. It, yeah. You like if you ever get kicked out of a, an Edmonton Oilers game and thrown <laughs> into a paddy wagon, which may or may not have happened to you. This is my life of sadness. This is my <laughs> life of gladness. <laughs> and speaking of like a time where someone is young and doing uh, – uh, socially reprehensible things. Maybe even our co-host here, maybe of the person of, of that kind of that. You've been in bands too, so God knows what you've done in your lifetime, Eric. Comer. This is the life I live. But then you know stuff about me too, which I better not. You're you're, you're just, now you're <laughs> me to tell some. You know, <laughs> you know stuff about me too. That I I give copiously to charity that of course people like emirate get <laughs> yeah, jobs I, I just don't know which stories are approved of to share here so i'm just going to keep quiet yeah, uh, that's a good idea now and the uh, only other thing because we've done a i think a very interesting textbookian reading of the lyrics but the other thing i want to point out is that um by 1970 the q65 were, were pretty much done and they went from early in this career so this song, which was a hit in its in its place of origin, uh, and and even still kind of is on in in Dutch on Dutch radio sometimes, um, but by 1970 the band was pretty much done, uh, and it was pointed out that this was like their first hit I think, and they had their last hit in 1970 with "Sexy Legs." With the song, like, <laughs> that's not a good title. A Q sixty five song. Sorry, guys. I, I think it's clear that the band went through the typical band evolution, which is uh, your early songs, like the life I live, are the songs about how people shouldn't tell them what to do. Like especially, and I think this is like young people usually in bands usually still live with their parents when they start out, especially at this time. So your early songs are like you're pushing too hard, pushing on me, <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> and then once you get successful, your next round of songs, your next album after success are about how much money you have and how many women you're sleeping with. And then you get your like sexy legs, right? Yeah. 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 But, or you have songs like tax man where you're like, Hey, they're taking too much of my money away from me. I want yes. to keep it. And yeah, then I'm the next that. stage, which Q65 didn't make it to, like if they had reached like the next level of rock bandness, 
the next round of songs would have been about how the media is lying about them, how the record <laughs> company are deceitful, the people around them are superficial. And and then that's it. that's the last stage for most bands. And if you really get to go a long time, like someone like Bob Dylan, then you do those old age songs, you know, where uh, which are mostly just about like dying soon. But every once in a while, you do one about how many women used to sleep with. You're like, well, you know, let me remind all you guys. Yeah, yeah. I think sadly, a lot of the Q65 are no longer with us. I'm not sure about yeah. Bill. Um, and there is a performance of them in I think the early '90s doing this kind of a a dad rock version of it. And I, the guy that's singing is like a really slim dude. And I'm like, is that this one that here? The, 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 sorry. I listeners wouldn't know what I'm talking about. I'm, Cause I'm still sharing my screen here and I've got, Oh, I, I'm actually looking at lyrics of songs, So I don't see what. Oh yeah. Got. Sorry. I, sometimes I forget that you're not necessarily just looking at my still screen for the entire time we're talking. But yeah, like the guy that's on that video, I'm like, is that, is that Ville? That's not Ville. No, I looked oh. this up because I watched this a while back when we did From Above. This is a different singer that they had joined them. Yeah. Ville Beeler left singing with them like quite early. So he was out of the picture oh, okay. and was gone. And as we know, or they probably know too, Ville Beeler was a huge part of their band sound and everything. So that video is cool. It's still good. And Jope is awesome in it. But, you know, you got to have Ville. Well, I mean, you're going to have a guy singing – uh, she married with a wristman. And if you don't sing it that way, well, I mean, that's why we got to go and check out any covers of the life I live and see how much mm. people avoid the, what makes this song great. Other than, you know, you know, other, all the other, fa- the musical factors and stuff is, is the Will Beeler's way of singing, which we're a big fans of finding people out there who say things in interesting ways. So Will Beeler, one of the saints of the podcast, whether he's with us or not, he's with us in spirit at all times. I think it's time to now move on to the next two songs, which I think we will probably spend a little less time doing this kind of in-depth analysis, just in case people are getting a little bit exhausted. Because even in a literature class, I don't study for poems. That's too much. <laughs> That's too much explaining how the world works. People get exhausted. Kids and adults will go mental. So I think we're just going to listen to how these songs rock. We'll still talk about the lyrics, but we're just going to talk about how they're cool songs. So the next song is from 66, but we'll still be paying attention to the philosophy of life espoused by it. This is Livin' by the Henchman. Bye. 
that's uh, the henchman. H-E-N-C-H-M-E-N. You'll find some stuff out there telling you this band is called Henchman, which is not correct. And that there's another band from Detroit. These guys are from Detroit, 1966. Uh, this is on Punch Records. It has a really cool, look at the label, Eric. It's a fist, and it's punching <laughs> the word punch. <laughs> That's a great one. And um, uh, so there's an, another band in the 90s with a guy named Jack White called The Henchman with a T, but in between the N and the C. And I suspect that they just are trying to ride the coattails of these guys. I Right away, I'm going to say- Until they got punched by this fist. Probably <laughs> at some point, Jack White, boom. They, they got punched, P-U-N-T-C-H. <laughs> That's good. But Jack White, I'm, I'm calling you out right now. You're just trying to be the henchman. He's probably like, yeah, why not? I'm like, okay, cool. We we appreciate that. But uh, stealing your name from a band from the same city is kind of crazy to me. Uh, to not be cool, like, man. Not cool. No, well, I guess you could say. Kind of cool. Mm. I mean, because here's the thing. You, you probably, uh, if you're a Detroit garager of the 90s going, you know what's a cool band? The henchman and that song Living. Yeah, it is. Why don't we call ourselves the henchman? Well, let's change it a little bit. Okay, we'll put a T in it. Ah, there we go. Solved. So that there's two bands from Detroit called The Henchman. This is a band I know nothing about other than that fact. So that's all I can tell you about The Henchman. They so really out, what you know about The Henchman is something about a different band called The Henchman. Called The Henchman. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, But they are from Detroit, and they wrote this song, and this is the one we listened to. So I'm going to throw it to Eric to start talking about what do you want to talk about about this song. I've got the lyrics, by the way, too. Man, this song is wild, and I think even just this last time we listened to it. Yeah, I don't have the lyrics, so I'm going to look to you for the lyrics. Uh, I have the lyrics of all the other ones except this one. Uh, this last time, I'm, I'm especially was like, man, this song is wild. Because first thing, it's just such a stripped-down song. Well, I don't know if stripped-down is the right word. It's, it's the band. but So we've got guitar, bass, drums, and vocals. One guitar and the bass, the drums, and the vocalist. I don't know how many people are in The Henchmen because we don't know much about them, but there's no tambourine in this song, no piano, no keyboard, um, no background vocals, none of that. And then when the guitar solo starts, which is considerable, it is a considerable... It's a long solo, yeah. Long yeah. So the, the song is two minutes, 10 seconds long, and we've got a, a guitar solo that might be 30 it's seconds. Thir it's 37 seconds. I've actually timed it. It's uh, one of the longer guitar solos we've played, I think. So at the beginning, when you get your drums and your bass, and then the guitar comes in, and one thing I didn't really notice until Weldon and I can see each other when we play these songs, because we'll do a screen share and we're over Zoom here, and I saw Weldon air guitaring some bar chords, and that was the first time listening to the song, I was like, Weldon's right, and Weldon's not a guitar player, but I was I, like, I didn't even know I was doing that, but I guess I know that a bar chord like would look like what it sounds like. Or yeah. Yeah. I was quite <laughs> impressed with that. Cause I, I didn't reflect on that. I guess I was kind of thinking of it as an open chord song. Now open chords on a guitar are what someone would normally play like a, like an early guitar player, especially on an acoustic guitar. So they get called cowboy chords sometimes. Cause those are chords commonly used in country and Western songs on when you're strumming an acoustic guitar, bar chords probably get used more often in rock guitar. They're more percussive generally, and you can just play a barred E chord and you can move it up and down the neck, which is basically what Weldon was just doing in his air guitaring. Trust and me, I was, yes. 
And it helped me to hear something in the guitar playing that I hadn't heard before. I was like, oh, yeah, these are just bar chords being moved up and down the neck. And you can hear the sort of the percussive sound that you get with that. Because in between moving your bar chords, the strings are muted and you're still strumming. So you get this percussive sound. And those bar chords are going for the early part of the song until the guitar solo. And then that guitar drops out because that guitar is presumably soloing. And there's no vocals then. And then the bass line changes during the guitar solo. Um, and it's doing more of a boom, 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 kind of thing underneath the guitar solo. And then when the guitar solo ends and the vocals come back, the music has changed because now <laughs> the bass line is doing that different bass line that it started doing during the solo. And yeah. the guitar keeps soloing. So I don't know if the singer is the guitar player, because in that case, he's soloing while he's singing, which is pretty tough to do uh, yeah. without tying them together. Like, you know, he they're not doing... Uh, that kind of stuff where like Robert Plant and Jimmy Page were like, wah, 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 and they'd sing in guitar at the same time. So yeah, that's, that's kind of neat. But uh, if, if it's not the guitar player singing, then why doesn't the, the singer play a tambourine or something during the guitar? Yeah. Solo? Well, they just got a different attitude towards life. That's the reason why right. I do. I, my, if I was to put money on, I would say this is a four man band that they have a singer, guitar player, drummer, bassist, but that the singer doesn't, add the the tambourine because he doesn't want to add anything he doesn't want frills and that's his attitude towards life because the lyrics might reflect that too but i would even i think I, he might also be pondering because like while the guitar soloing he's thinking more about life he's like gone, yeah. gone into his head and he's like i love yeah. a, i love a good ponder because like yeah. no one's air pondered before like a, a band <laughs> a band guy like doing in, <laughs> when you're a guy in a band you're a singer and you don't play an instrument and then you're at a 47 37 section where everyone's just like rocking out and you're like you could feel a little bit at left out you're like so what you do instead of like shaking a tambourine and, and trying to join them because you actually think you're better than them because you're the singer you're like i'm the singer i'm the one who's first gonna get my pick of girls who will be indisposed right so <laughs> but you go instead of trying to join them and lower myself to their level i am a kingly singer i'm going to just stand there with my fingers on my chin the way a philosopher ruminates and i'm going to stand there and think deeply while the band rocks out when people with their uh with their mobile device and spotify are listening to like a led zeppelin album you'll see them air guitaring the way that weldon just was but when mm. you see them listening to in in the past garage rock podcast they'll be air pondering that's when you know a pastronaut is listening to in the past a good example is remember the simpsons where uh homer has to think so he wants lisa to not ever stop in the middle of a hoedown when she's playing oh, in a <laughs> right, and he yeah. he starts doing a little jig but he's he's doing the thoughtful thing he's kind of <laughs> yeah. doing what i'm imagining air the singer pondering. of the band is he's air pondering uh well he's at least pondering while uh, the band is playing so uh, but he's just doing the ponder. So, hey, there you go. We found a new thing, more textbook. Um, one thing I like is uh, on the U one of the YouTube videos, the one that I think you've played here is, uh, I think it looks like the channel's called The the Garage 1966. There's a person named Tibor Vivi who writes, it's a little if I had a hammer type. And I would not have thought that, but it's actually. The, yeah, a that's an like that. interesting comment. Yeah, the chord, the chords being played does have yeah. an if I had a hammer and even the drums, because if I had hammered by Trini Lopez, uh, his version is uh, has got some bam, 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 like the the bam, bam, bam fills that the drummer does here, which are actually really quite interesting. He just does it at the end of every line. Dang, dang. He hits the, the, the drum three times. Um, some nice fills there. I'd say that that's an interesting thing is that this has possibly got 
a little bit of a folk uh lineage possibly but it's a garage song for sure and the other look at this comment from robert watson live in rocks a little bit of good intentional ambiguity there and uh then susan mcginnis says god rest your soul my kelly now is kelly someone from the henchman or or like there's no way that if kelly was the person who has this uh youtube channel the garage 1966 you wouldn't go to one of their videos and say, God rest your soul. It's got to be someone from the henchman. It's got to be someone from the henchman. Or it's just that the song made her think about life because it's called Oh, so right. She went, maybe now that Kelly's favorite song. Well, maybe Kelly just died and she was like, I'm going to start looking for songs about living and find the one that most is worthy of commenting on to commemorate Kelly. You know right. how some people, they, they, they have a memorial bench for someone instead of that, you go, well, what's the song that I will write a rest in peace for my significant other? Because that's one thing that's fascinating. Sometimes with like a certain song, you'll go on YouTube and find all these people writing about how their lover and them, this is the first song they ever danced to and they were married for 45 years. And it's always a good way to get 366 likes, which of course give you nothing in life. But Hey, is is YouTube commenting sort of the new like wall that you would draw like a heart with your, you know, you'd put like your initial and your partner's initial. Do you Possibly. know what I'm talking about? Like the, yeah. like the bench that you would like carve something into? Yeah, well, I mean, the, I'm, I'm comparing it to the memorial bench here because I'm thinking that uh, the woman that you just referred to is trying to memorialize Kelly. She's trying the one song that's about that. But you're, for, you're well, right for here, other people. Here's yeah. the deal. Well, no, we're we're both right because so you take like someone celebrating something like a very poor person and they might get like a $5 bottle of champagne to celebrate. But then you take the very wealthy person, they get the $1,000 bottle of champagne to celebrate. So uh, it, then the park bench plaque is just like a very high – it's like putting more money into the version of carving your your name into the park. Eric, I'm going to ask you to do something right now since you've got the video up and presumably you're signed into your channel. I want you to write in the comments in the past Garage Rock podcast sent me here because I've been meaning to tell – we've told people to write that in a video that we – and now, of course, it will be – someone will go, well, that's the guy from in a past Garage Rock. So make make, make sure you misspell it put it in the past p s s e d no that's embarrassing this is the only comment <laughs> i've ever left okay yeah i can't i can't command you hear my command here i i'm gonna leave it so people can hear me typing so they know that i'm actually putting this comment in in the past garage rock podcast sent me here do i put a period at the end i never do Not okay when it comes i'm to just you. gonna press enter okay so Astronauts, you can now go to see this video, which is the henchman performing Livin', and it's on the Garage 1966, and you can see my comment. No, it didn't go in because I. Well, no, oh, yeah, yeah. I got, it, I got it. You got it. Yeah, you got it. You know what you're doing. As you, you know can tell. No, I don't. <laughs> okay, there it is. There you go. That's it. There wow. So it's there. And it's, I like that it's put up there before we've even published the podcast. So if someone goes looking for our podcast now. I don't know what they're talking about because these guys seemingly have not actually talked about this song. But hey, we do send you to these songs. So we want you to do more of this. We want you to graffiti these channels just mentioning us instead of like your relationship to the song. We would appreciate that. I assume it will get us to the million listens that we're trying to get to. We're pretty close. I think we're at 999, 984. 999-984. Emirate, Emirate, Oh, he looked it up. It's 999,984,000. I don't know what the number is. He sent me something. <laughs> it's I've a high drinking. number. We, 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 it takes us a little while to even like figure out 
But in wait, case wait. you think we're joking that we're just inflating our uh, listens, I'm dead serious here. We're talking about a million listens here in the year and a half that we've been. This is our life podcasting. of gladness. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we have our life of sadness too, but that's off pod. So this song, uh, I was going to point out one other thing that I, I surmise. That solo that goes on for 37 seconds is actually meant to explain something about life. Life at times just feels like it goes on. Like this solo. Right. And so when you, it's, it's a solo that when it happens, you're like, is it going to stop now? No, oh, it keeps going. Oh, it's going to keep going another few bars. Yep. It's going to keep going. And then it finally ends. You're like, it, sh- it feels like it should have ended 20 seconds ago. I'm not saying it's a bad solo. I'm just saying it's a solo that has an interesting kind of extended feel to it. And there's a scream in there too. There's a good garage rock scream as well. Yeah. There's a wow. Yeah. So should we talk about the lyrics? I mean, I can read them to you. And yeah, then... you read them because I don't have them written down. So, well, I get up each morning and I look in the mirror. I'm sick and I'm tired. How can I get this clear here? Now, I think that's what he says. How can I get this clear? And it makes me think of two things. He's trying to say, how can I make my point about how life, which is I'm about to explain, can be a real drag? Or maybe he's just because he's a teenage boy, presumably. He's looking at his face and he sees that it's full of acne. <laughs> And he goes, how can I get my face clear? Which, when you're a teenager, is an important problem for sure. Yeah, I used to read comic books when I was a kid, and there was always uh, zit ads in the comics. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you'd go to school with kids. Clear you know, yeah. yeah, you'd go to school with kids who had, like, you know, uh, that kind of bigger problem, right? So I, I, I think that that's great because it's a line that you can take to, to, on two levels there. And then he says, I work every day. I don't know why. I guess it's cause the things I buy. So that that is <laughs> that's got to be a royalette for me. I'm putting that down as a royalette. I love that every time I hear it, I like just tune in and I'm like, this this is gonna be so well, good. It's because you know he's about to deliver you the goods on life because he says I work every day. I don't <laughs> know why, and you're like, yeah, why do we work? And then he goes, I guess it's cause, and you're like, there's a pause. He's gonna tell me. The things I buy. So you're like, oh, it's because he has a consumer lifestyle. He's out there buying stuff and he's got to continue buying stuff. And then I like how he, then he doesn't say, so I'm going to change my ways or something or no no more of that. I'm going to go move into the woods. He's just like, well, that's living, so, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly it. So he's just pointing out, hey, like you could you could say it's a um, uh, a kind of criticism of capitalism, but it's just at least pointing it out. I mean, that's not exactly what, but it's not exactly why you work, but Hey, it's one of the reasons for some people, they fill the void in their life with the things they buy, which then maybe for them, the reason why they work. This has got to be a guy with a day job too, right? Cause I don't think this is like Jack white. Once he's got his white stripes fame, he wouldn't be like, I work every day. I don't know why. Cause all his listeners would be like, Hey, asshole, your job is pretty cool i know you have to do some things you don't like but i get the sense that the henchmen maybe actually have to work like at a grocery store or something good point just like because most of the shows i've ever seen in my life are local bands i've gone to see yeah. lots of band, and whenever i see a local band playing i go hey there's that guy that works at that coffee shop that yeah, i go to sometimes yeah. and i go these guys have jobs but when you go see bruce springsteen you're like if he sang a song like this you're like he's singing from the point of view of a character who works yeah uh, but when this guy sings, I, I work every day. I don't know why you are in synergy with them. You and the audience or the listener and this guy singing, you're like, Hey, we both work crappy yeah. jobs. Yeah. And you go, I'm, 
I'm going to listen to this guy in a different way than I would to a real rock star. This is probably a guy who, like you say, has a literal job, like got a job by the miracles. I, so I went to a grocery store. I like that saying he's got a literal job because if you did talk to someone like Jack White, you're like, this guy has a literal job. And he'd be like, well, I, I have a job. He'd be like, no, no, <laughs> no. this guy actually a has literal. a literal job. He has a literal job. He literally works. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a job. No, no, sure, Jack White. We we get it. We get it. But I was also in a band called The Henchmen. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but <laughs> you didn't write live in. So, well, okay, I didn't. I admit it. Um, so that's the first verse. So it, it does. It does. Uh, and you know, also, tell- that's something uh, Billy Childish should have retorted when Jack White called him a plagiarist. He should have said, mm-hmm. well, look, you were you started a band or joined at least a band called yeah. The Henchmen copying yeah. the other Detroit, Michigan. Why would a garage rocker complain that someone else is plagiarizing? It's bizarre. What a <laughs> it's bizarre like, complaint. You're, you're all ripping off kinks riffs. Like, yeah, because you, you should jo- join each other. Like that should be a cause for you getting both together and starting your own band where you just recycle the same riffs. Yeah. Right. Like there's not, that's a, that's a suspicious thing on, on, uh, on Jack White's part. There's like, yeah. Plagiarism. Like, if you're what? a garage rocker and you think that art is about like everything being like a completely original thought, it's like, man, you're in the wrong line of work. But you're right. The henchman thing right there is is uh, Billy Childish's ultimate retort. Yeah. But it would then it, then Billy Childish would have to admit that he knows stuff about Jack White, and you don't want to be in that. <laughs> you know, you want to be like it's I like was you're around obsessing over you. him or something. Yeah, yeah. You're like, I don't know what bands you were in. I don't even really know who you are. <laughs> um, so then he's got. So let's talk about the second verse then, um, because there's not really any chorus to this song. It's just uh, it's just verses with you know the chorus is like going ah living. Yeah, exactly. Because then he says the second verse, take everybody, they just don't care. At least I think that's what he sings. Because I there's no, uh, this is one of the ones where I have to actually listen to the song and write down what I think, whereas the other ones were out there, but I just corrected for what I think is actually correct or what was the Roger Atkins telling us was correct. So take everybody, they just don't care. They're in such a hurry to go, who knows where. Yeah, they call this living. Yeah, they call it life. Oh, living, yeah, life. He doesn't actually say anything about life. He just he lets you fill it in. They call this living. They call this life. Oh, living, yeah. Dot dot dot. Life. I, this song we never did really come back to what the feel of Q65's "The Life I Live" is. We didn't quite address that. But this one, and uh, okay, yeah, Weldon, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I I did say I was like I went back into the pin and I said it was kind of like a menacing. Uh, riff, right. but it had yeah. the. It still continues with that kind of shaggy dog story. So that yes, I thought it yeah, had yeah. The, right. the light and the dark of the sadness and the. Gladness. I apologize. You I might not have like. Point. I might not have made it really emphatic though. But that was that's my final uh, well, point. How, how emphatic can I expect you to make it? It you you did well. Now with this one, just the way I feel like when you're listening, you feel so many things. When he goes, living. Ah, live. He just sums everything up there. You're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, man. Uh, there's something. Do you feel this? Is there something when you're listening? You're just like, this guy's got it. I I would say that it's a tautology, and yet it's a tautology. <laughs> so he's saying, good. "What is?" Text so he's books. answering the he's answering the question, "What is living?" He goes, "Living is life." It's not doing like this, right? Uh, 
Which gets back stuff. to the Q65 title, which where I said, like, well, this is a ridiculous title, The Life I Live. It's contained within itself, subject contained in, in predicate or whatever. And here you've got it again, like you said, a tautology, but one where you can't really sum up this this uh, bit of wisdom without it. But it's exactly like it does seem to for people like us who are just working men, right? Working men. Very, very successful working men. But – What's living like? Oh, living. Yeah. Life. Yeah. Sometimes I mean, you get a lot of downloads, but you still got to work hard for it just because mm-hmm. you, your downloads are crossing some absurd number. It's like yeah, probably like, you know, the most popular comparative analysis garage rock podcast out there. Yeah. You might be getting up into the top hundred music commentary podcasts in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> you're still just a regular, regular Joe, really. Yeah, I mean, we've got to do other jobs outside of this. Uh, well, we don't have to do it, but we do it because we know that the people need us. Like uh, what you do in the world of library research and uh, what I do in the world of teaching. Obviously, I have to continue to tell people. Oh, now we're just getting into like super braggadocious. That's good, though, because that's partly what life is. But in this song, uh, yeah, I mean, really, we are impressed with just the way the guy sings it. it's not really a chorus <laughs> but oh living yeah and then that's when the instrument instrumental break comes and the scream which because it's a garage rock sc- i think the scream has meaning too ah, mm. it's still explaining to you that life sometimes has you have to let it out you have to have this release valve and you right. work every it's kind of the simple thing you work every day but you work for the weekend or you work to be in your band the henchman so that you can rock out in front of audiences to live a little bit differently outside of work well sometimes i think about like I was just in uh, Vancouver visiting you, and we, as we were downtown, we talked a little bit about the Vancouver riot. Which what year was that? Twenty eleven. Well, that's the the most recent one because we've had a few here. But. Right, right from twenty eleven, where Weldon famously flipped over a police car, and <laughs> you can find it online. <laughs> and so sometimes I think about like. Because it just wouldn't be in my personality to do that kind of stuff, like to smash a store window or something. So I think what would make someone do something like that? I'm presuming that some of these people are semi-normal people who are living. And what would make them do that? And then I think about the scream in the song Living, where I think sometimes people are just going about their daily lives, going to the nine to five, going out at night for a couple pints with the gang, with Jope and the gang. And then mm-hmm. every once in a while you need to go, Wah! And you need to let that scream out, right? And I think, mm. think about a riot like the Vancouver riots in 2011 that some people, they're living and they're, they're living life. But every once in a while, you just feel this need to like let that scream out, right? And I think that's their way of doing that. And I've remarked to to people before that like I, I get in my life often to play a really loud guitar, like to turn my amp up to eight or that doesn't sound loud to people. <laughs> but you, you never turn your amp up to 10. It's very rare. That's very yeah. loud to have your amp <laughs> So even to four or five is actually very, very loud. People don't realize it, that. I like the practical knowledge there, though. It's like, because <laughs> anyone who doesn't play guitar goes, it's always up to 10. It's like, no, actually, eight's fine. And that's actually probably too much. Yeah, you I, like, honestly, like four or five is like your amp. Your amp actually doesn't even get much louder past like five or six. Generally, it just gets more distorted and compressed. Wow. People don't know that, but you you really max out the actual volume that can come out of your amp uh, fairly early on the volume knob and on your sort of different kind of things that are happening with the overtones and stuff once you get past that. Uh, so here, this is a thing that was, now I just realized like, yeah, I've never heard anyone mention that, but people don't know that. This is a textbook. Yeah. So 
now I don't remember what the, what the earlier point was. But oh yeah, so the riots and and the letting it out. So I get to with turning the guitar amp up loud, let that scream out that way. But other people probably don't get to let it out. So they're like in the middle of a riot and they're like, oh, finally I get to smash this store window. Um, and that's their way of going, wow. I guess it points out the tension of like acknowledging how life is really like right. a certain kind of indentured slavery to work. And yeah. then there is this sense of like we can release our tension through things like the occasional riot or the occasional rock and roll song. Or does this just suggest that if we didn't do this, we would be able to change the way we live totally through right. revolution. But then we wouldn't have garage rock if we live probably in a world of uh, utopian socialism. Um, maybe we would. Actually, I would like to think in a world of utopian socialism, there'd be more garage rock, not less. But there is an argument to be made for is like it's a way to keep us uh, living the way that we are supposed to be and productive is to be making sure we release it in certain ways. But then again, but you could also say what I'm also saying is that a song like this could also give you that idea like, what if I kept smashing store window? What if I kept screaming? What if I didn't stop? Well, that's an interesting balance in rock and roll because obviously there was a time in the 60s where society or the system was very threatened by rock and roll. But it's like, well, but or is rock and roll just another opiate of the masses where it's like, hey, you guys should approve of rock and roll because this is just keeping us kind of, you know, we this is our release. And then we go back to work in the morning. I wonder if the MC5 fellow Detroit garagers of the 60s of the same time period, I'm sure. The, the MC5 and the henchmen cross paths. The MC5 were a band who, of course, espoused revolution. They actually said, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. don't drugs and fucking in the streets. Yeah. Uh, and they were members of the White Panther Party. I wonder if they would have a, a certain analysis of this song and say, no, guys, you got to go beyond that. But I also think the henchmen would be like, yeah, but our song is just super rad. And, like, <laughs> and our guitar solo. Like, I guess the one thing I could say is like uh, that they're in line with is having a 37 second guitar solo might have uh, influenced then uh, Wayne Kramer and uh, who was the other guys, Fred Sonic Smith to go, well, if you can do a 37 second solo, then we could do a song like black to calm or something like that, where we just do like a punishing riff for like six minutes. So I, I think that there is an interesting uh, tension between what's going on. I think that's one thing we should have always, I'm glad we touched on it in songs about living is it's always exposing the root of what keeps us down. It's like working. And it, we really understand it's like, we don't have to live this way, but then it's like ah, the amount of energy you have to overthrow the state after, you know, working, maybe I'll just channel that energy into rocking out. Cause that's mm -hmm. also a certain expression. There's a certain kind of life force in that. So pick your poison. I'm not saying you have to be a revolutionary. I'm not saying you have to be a anything, but it's it is the choice between the MC5 and the henchman, per, presumably. But it's interesting that it would sort of coming up at this period of life, and we haven't even got to the third verse, so I should get to that so we can move on to <laughs> yeah. our final song, which is, hey, we, I mean it, it's it was going to be a long episode because we're talking about, it, but I also know that there's other things we have uh, lives outside of the podcast, so we better get moving. So well, they call this living, and it seems to me a little bit's missing. To fit my needs. At least I think that's what he says in the second line. Well, they call this living and they call it life. They say I'm wrong when I know I'm right. And then, of course, he finishes, I'm right. So a real ends on an assertion of I'm right. This is what life is. He's just saying life is just this thing where you just you work. Okay, but then ask me this where they said the they called they call this living. They call this life mm. and they say he's wrong. But 
what's he right about in that that it's not living? Because he just said he's just going on like he didn't propose an alternative. Do you see what he, I'm getting at? Uh, you're right. I think this the the person that's written the lyrics to this song has has deliberately kept themselves sort of from making any solution. Right. Proposing is right. They're just saying this is live because they've even said, ah, oh, living. Yeah. Life. <laughs> That's essentially the course. And then here they say, I'm wrong when I know I'm right, but you're right. Like, what are you right about? Well, life is just living to work and to buy things and to have this rat race mentality that he talks about in the second verse. Right. So he's not offering a solution. He's just identifying. He's, just identifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's, he's maybe just doing the first part of what you need in a revolutionary situation. Right is to wake up the masses. Then the MC5 come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hands, and then they, even if they don't propose it in their lyrics, they throw up pamphlets to you possibly. Or in between. And the MC5 pamphlets. isn't even that crazy, like many years after this, right? Like I compare. No, they're around at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is really a crazy thing about it. Yeah, the hen- that's why I think the henchmen and the MC5 would have to know each other. If they're from Detroit in 1966, they've got to be aware of each other this is the kind of thing i want to know i want to know more about the henchman quite frankly but hey and, I, and when i mean the henchman and I not mean your this. henchman jack white yeah yeah sorry we know you're listening he's like you bastards um <laughs> so really these guys kind of leave it for us to decide i think is what they're kind of doing and they are basically just telling us that life is work life is work Life is purchasing things. It's in a you're in a hurry to go who knows where. But he doesn't actually make any real critique. He just points it out. He's just basically saying to you, what are you gonna do about it? Do you like it? Are you gonna accept it? Are you gonna do anything about it? But he doesn't even ask that question. We just impl- it's like an implicit question. He's being a bit sphinx-like, the guy here. Then he's like, now here's some pentatonic solos, some double stops. Um, yeah. does that for about 37 seconds. That's why I think the song makes points about life that are actually within the music where the solo tells you sometimes life feels like it just keeps going. Sometimes mm-hmm. you think it's it's like it's that stage of your life where you're like, man, everything just seems to, when you're younger and you feel like life just takes forever. Like uh, and then when you get older and you feel like life is happening too fast. Right. I think the solo gives you that feeling you're right the solo is like that montage scene in a film where like a bunch of stuff they just show you a few things happening and then you sort of advance forward yeah yeah so it's a it's a subtle message that they're sending us but it's also very hard to decode even though the lyrics are very simple compared to the ones we've done before so i think it's now time to finish off our consideration of life as espoused by garage rock philosophers and move on to the next song. Yeah. Which sorry, the, the only thing I want to add, and uh, sorry, this is going to be really short, but uh, we, you and I talked a little bit about how this song has a B-side called Please Tell Me, and which almost was the A-side or was intended to be the A-side. And I just wanted to put a question out there, which is like, so, and you and I both said, well, Please Tell Me is not as good as Livin'. So mm-hmm. like living is, is the better song in, in hindsight, it's completely clear. So you're a band who's made living and you've made, please tell me. And you're like, well, please tell me is clearly the better song. That should be the A side. That's a better. So how could a band avoid this is the question. How do you know when the thing that you think is the best thing isn't actually the best thing. Uh, and, and the thing that you like, like, why do they think that that other thing is the better thing? And I, I think that maybe it's often that, it's the little bit more refined thing. Like as musicians, mm. they think that reflects their musicianship better. So how does a band avoid that? Like, like not be like, well, this is the thing that makes us sound the best. That doesn't mean it's 
Well, we could discuss that yes. when we talk about the next song because it's my iconoclastic life, which the band had seen another good a, example. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is that they thought that the the Beach Nuts themselves thought that the the A side should be the what became the B side, Nature's Company. But hey, anyone out there that listens to us should listen to both songs and go, which one do you think should be the A side? And it's pretty clear the one we're about to play is going to be the one you're going to choose. It's my iconoclastic life by the Beach Nuts from 1966. <laughs> Home, baby. Girl, I need your love. Feel alright. Hold me tight. Day and night, outside. All my life is near. I just take pills. I sit for hours and watch the flowers. I'm so alone. I scream and moan without you. Yeah, I'll sit in the park and look at the dark. Spend my days watching the haze. I can't stand still. My life is nil without you, girl. Yeah. Girl, I'm going crazy without you. Girl, drive me mad. Understand. Hold my hand. I'm your man. I'm your man. Ow! Girl, don't leave me now. Girl, I need your love. Come on, home, baby. I want your love. Don't leave me, girl. I need your love now. Don't go, babe. I want you. I cry, babe. What do you cry, babe? I cry, 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 I cry. No! Don't leave me, girl. Don't leave me now, honey. I want your love. No! No, girl, don't leave me. I need your love. Don't leave me. No! Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. I cry, I cry, I cry, I cry, I cry, I cry. So a song sometimes known as My Iconoclastic Life, officially Iconoclastic Life, but it's often anthologized as My Iconoclastic Life by the Beach Nuts, a song with a lot of lore attached to it. Um, I don't have any notes on the band or who they are, but it is out there. They have a Wikipedia page and they reunited in the 2000s. There was a period before they reemerged where there was a um, legend that this was written by Lou Reed uh, because they were on the same label as Lou Reed before he was in the Velvet Underground. And uh, this song is insane. And Lou Reed was writing songs like Do the Ostrich by the Primitives. So that has something to do with it. Uh, all I can tell you is that this is a crazy song. It's in a lot of garage rock compilations. And we're going to talk about what it says about life because it's a, called My Iconoclastic Life. So I'm going to throw it to Eric. And he might talk a little bit about the band and anything he wants. Here it comes. Yeah. I, and I was going to talk about the band and then I... I just to be straight up, I forgot to write down stuff about the band. I, I had read some stuff about them, but the song itself has this tremolo guitar sound, which is really cool. So obviously their amps probably have tremolo on them. And the tremolo again is the choppy sort of sound. It's that kind of thing uh, where you 
it, like the volume is basically like cutting out at a rate that you can set on the amp. So mm. you could say uh, it's it would be a knob that said speed, and that's the speed of the tremolo. So if you turn the speed of the tremolo down very low, your your uh, sound is going to be chopping out very very slowly. But if you turn the speed of your tremolo up very high, then your sound is going to be very very choppy, and that's that. Then you're going to get to that Bo Diddley kind of sound, although Bo Diddley's guitar tone is is a little bit more complicated than that, but. In 60s music, you're going to hear that tremolo guitar sound quite frequently, just like here. Um, here you've got more bar chords. I was just talking about bar chords in the last song, and you've got more of them here. And you've got a 12-string guitar here adding a little bit of jangle, which is easy to overlook because the mm -hmm. the feel of the song, you just wouldn't associate this with a jangly 12-string, but it is in there. But, man, we've got... I mean, the, the thunder is stolen by this vocal. I would call this a <laughs> Mick Jaggery vocal. Weldon, would you call this Mick Jaggery? Or where would you see the roots of this vocal? I don't know, because um, one thing that's going on, besides, you're right, there is Mick Jaggery vocals, except that the, the, the fact is the guy's voice itself doesn't sound anything. He's got this gravelly. No, that's the of, thing, but I'm trying but to the, figure the, out what the roots are of this well, it's interesting because then the what I notice about it is the, what we call extemporization, right? Yeah, so yeah, there's lots a, in it. When a singer is just sort of like going wild and adding what seemed to be don't extemporized. Cry. Don't cry. Yeah, don't cry. Probably. And and one thing is no, when you I'll cry. At, oh, maybe I'll, I'll cry. cry. I'll cry. I'll cry. I'll cry. Uh, that what makes this song immortal. And when you look at comment sections, is people are like, "Wow, this singer is really going crazy." Like it's a great <laughs> insane vocal performance, and it's a guy going, "Girl." Come on home, baby. Girl, I need your love. Feel all right. Hold me tight. So that seems to me to come from some other style of music, which I think must be, like, I'm thinking of guys like Solomon Burt, possibly. Although I don't think that's a good example. Or even think of like Otis Redding doing Try a Little Tenderness, where there's a little bit yeah. of accelerando like this. I, I wonder if, I don't know what it was like being in a studio in the 1960s, but imagine you're in a studio with your band and everyone's kind of like amps are loud, right? And drums are loud. Uh, a human voice is not as loud as those things. Now, you're recording in the studio. Imagine if you can't hear your vocal back as loud as you'd like to, but maybe you would. These guys are in a professional studio. Maybe they've got headphones on and, and the vocal is up loud enough. But I'm wondering if there were situations in the 60s where you'd be doing a song like this and they'd play it back for you and you're like, oh, wow, I sound like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what makes this song so great because lyrically it's quite um... – Moon June Spoon. So, like, I'll talk about the lyrics. But now, now the time is right. It's rhyming yeah. tonight. Come on home again. Forget those other men. This night I moan because I'm so alone without you. In the great line, it's '62. You knew what to do. <laughs> you came round here without no fear, but now I'm crying. I'm gonna die without you. He is yeah. really explicit. I'm going to die without you. And the, he, yeah, he sounds it. desperate. He sounds desperate for this woman to come back. Uh, if she goes back to him, it's gonna be more of an intervention. She's not planning to stay. She's just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I don't want to be responsible for this guy. Whatever happening to this? Yeah, guy. this guy is a problem. You can tell right away. <laughs> but but that's what makes it a, a performance. We hey, by the way, we, what kind of band name is the Beach Nuts? Good point. Yeah. And that's the other thing that made this complicated for years is people weren't sure if they were the beach nuts, B-E-E-C-H, right. like the tree and the nuts from the tree or beach nuts when they are, they literally are beach. Like it's like a beach boys type. It's a corny yeah. name. A beach nuts. Doing a song that's, like this. But because they're called the beach nuts, I somehow always imagine the song being done on a beach and a guy going, girl, come on, baby. Um, so that's the what way he, says. he says. Girl. So go, go. Girl. Come on home, baby. Girl. 
And and the funny thing is, is that he's actually a bit restrained at those parts. Like he's not, but he's just. It's the way he's right, girl. Come on home, baby. Girl, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like he's it's trying kinda, to contain the himself. out of breathness of it and just the intensity. And then and yeah, what's don't really leave me. Made, don't leave me. Don't leave me. I'll cry. Cry. And the, the lyrics being completely trite. Feel all right. Hold me tight. Day and night. Out of sight. <laughs> Were these lyrics written down? But then you think, well, if they're no, written down, that's insane. Not. But then you think, were they memorized? And you're like, that's even more insane. And like, but were they improvised? Well, that's How the kind that we be? need to we need to go back and do research on whether or not that these guys actually wrote this stuff down because there's the immortal line that comes up now if we call it the second verse. Oh, my life is nil. I just take pills. Now that's a line from 1966, which is crazy. Oh, my life is nil. I just take pills. I sit for hours. Watch the flowers. I'm so alone. I scream and moan without you. And, and to me, that's why the song, because clearly they don't say iconoclastic life because they wouldn't be able to rhyme that. They're just going to rhyme with iconoclastic. So like the song's called Iconoclastic Life and he's describing the iconoclastic life. And the line that sticks out is my life is nil. I just take pills, which uh, which sort of foreshadows the punk attitude of bands like Richard Hell in the Voidoids and and uh, uh, songs and albums like Blank Generation, right? Where, like, to talk about your life being nil, to me that's something that we don't really hear as much until the 70s. Well, remember, too, and I, it's funny that I forgot to do this until just now, is to look up the word iconoclasm, and it means the destruction of religious icons. Mm. So you could then take mm. it to mean a me- bit more metaphorically, like the destruction of, like, you know, not religious icons, but, like, the the kind of ways of living that are traditional. Yeah. And and so I suppose that taking drugs and going insane is a is an iconoclastic choice for 1966. It's also just an unbelievably bombastic title for a garage rock song, which isn't like a prog rock song. This is just a song that was like, ah, wow, a B side, a B side. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty pretty funny. And so, um, I think it's the combining uh, the titles bombastic sort of almost pretension which is hilarious it makes it hilarious and then that line my life is new i just take pills and then back to the the real simplicity i sit for hours watching the flowers but it's really early uh, statement of like the dark side of hippie life which you know and a mr pharmacist sort of type vocal sound right and the thing that and so these lines like oh my life is nil i just take pills those are awesome and lines like sit for hours, watch the flowers. I think even a line like that is is cooler than you think at first because normally people would say look at the flowers. But to watch the flowers is a little bit different than look at the flowers. And then when he goes into lines like, girl, come home, baby. Girl, I need your love. It sounds like a conversation, but it's a conversation just with himself. Yeah, yeah. The girl's not there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like the idea that he it, – it, like I say, it's pre – Summer of Love. It's it's not 1967. It's a guy who's taken some pills. Notice he's taken pills. He hasn't yes. done acid. Right. He's doing some other really antisocial drug. And then he sits for hour watching the flowers. And that is this interesting sort of like you're just and then watching there. the haze. Look, looking yeah. at the dark later. Looking at the dark. Yeah. Well, even before that, he goes, "I'm so alone. I scream and moan without you." Yeah. And then I sit in the park look at the dark. So again, he's watched the flowers and he's looking at the dark. This is actually, he's looking into the darkness. This is speaking of philosophers, the Nietzsche. void. Yeah, if yeah. you stare too long into the abyss, the abyss stares also. Into <laughs> yeah. You. That's what, th- this is a, it's clearly a nihilistic 
or at least it it uh, puts forward. It suggests a nihilistic. Well, he uses like, the word nil, nil, which I yeah yeah, 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 exactly. My life is nil. I just take pills, and then he says, "I sit in the park, look at the dark. I spend my days watching the haze." So it's getting darker because the it's it, he was looking at nature. He was watching the flowers, but we yep. get the sense there that he was he's just sitting there watching a flower maybe move ever so slightly in the breeze. Which in the 1967 summer of love, you might be like that's a positive thing, but then it's like no, he stayed in the park. Yeah, he, so he's long. there. Like yeah, yeah. Even now when the sun's gone down, everyone else has left the park to go do other things. He's still there, and now yeah. he's looking at the dark where the flower was and now he's spending then the day comes up again. his life really is nil he's been in that park for like 10 <laughs> hours time. and then watching the haze makes you think like it's this air pollution it's this city it's yeah. like this ground he sees the reality by being in this altered state it doesn't change the fact that life is dark and depressing and full of pollution and disgusting urban awfulness and this is like a real repost in before 1967 of the hippie life in a way my life is nil here's one song where a singer goes i'm going crazy without yeah you drive me mad i'm like yeah you you, girl really he's going (laughs) crazy without you you're driving him mad she might point out it's like i don't think it's me i think it's (laughs) kills and stayed in the park i actually just said hi to you and talked to you for about five (laughs) minutes in a bar but really it's all about that girl i'm going crazy without you drive me mad understand Hold my hand. I'm your man. I'm your, and then I, I had to use a uppercase for the second I'm your man. Cause it's like, cause he goes, I'm your man. I'm your man. man. Yeah, Ow! Yeah. Understand. Hold my hand. I'm your man. I'm your man. I'm your man. Ow! And then the scream, and then he keeps going. And I didn't even bother writing down the last part cause it's so much. No, I did too. Don't I leave just, me now. I need to repeat. Roll. Extemporize. <laughs> yeah. Or extemporize. Just, I should have. I don't, yeah. That's what I should have written. At that point, it's just like, that's what makes the song great. That's what makes it an iconoclastic song is that the guy's taking the idea of the Otis Redding style extemporization, but he's brought it into a different realm here, which is like, you're actually worried um, about this guy. Yeah. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. And again, like I say, people, that's what they respond to in this song. They're hearing back the, the, the their darkest moments to them, but it, it's still funny though. How is it possible that you could talk to the band about the song and they would say, "Yeah, well, we preferred the a the a sign, which was like, what? Why aren't you guys talking about this? Like, aren't you guys saying, yeah, we were in the in the studio and it was really strange and we weren't comfortable even putting it down and releasing it to people because it was so insane? Mm-hmm. Why isn't that what they're saying? Not well, yeah, it's fine, but we prefer the a side, which is- I still also want to know what led them to give it this title because I think the title really puts the nice That's cap what, on this being right. great. You're you know? right. If you're it was called just right. something like if, if you called it my life is nil, you're like, that's ah, a little too on the nose because they say that. I love the idea that it's the song, the word iconoclastic or iconic was never mentioned. Combined with the name of the band, the Beach Nuts. It, <laughs> exactly. All is, exactly. it just all comes together. It would be like, I, I suppose the Beach Boys did have like a psychedelic phase, right? And they got, of course, very Baroque at times. Like they're known for being way beyond like what you would think of them. It'd but be great so- if, because Brian Wilson is famous for going crazy. If he had a song where he was like, girl, I just imagine you'd have to sing it in four point harmony or something. Barbershop. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, no cellos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's coming from a different, but I still think that there's an insanity here, obviously. I mean, that's not exactly a textbook observation. <laughs> but but it, when I think of insane 60s garage rock songs, this is in the top 10 for sure. My iconoclastic life by the beach nuts. Because the, the name, like you point out, is just like the beach nuts. Like, yeah, we like no, hanging out. They are nuts, so we'll give them that. <laughs> And it makes me happy to think that these guys would be like wearing striped shirts on the beach, but still <laughs> taking drugs and thinking about love because you're a young man and you're like, you know, just the kind of like thoughts you would have about love and lust and relationships would be completely incoherent. And it's absolutely delivered in pure incoherent fashion here. I think I love it. I've always loved this song ever since I first heard it 20 something years ago. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. I don't really have any real insights on it, except that it's nuts. And no, if you, if you did insights on it, it would ruin it. It's it's in the form it's meant to be in. Uh, should we go ahead and do a Bo Diddley Award, or do you want to say well, more about the Beach Notes? We should do a quick review before we do our Bo Diddley Award. We should quickly review. We've got Animals. That was the first song. Q65 yeah. was the second. Then we had Henchmen, and then we've had Beach Notes. We should quickly sort of make sure that we understand that the Animals had a kind of um, – I don't know how we sort of summarized it, but it sort of – it produced – it was a character – a rakish character who uh, in the first two lines explaining a life of struggle that leads to a sociopathic way of life might be, uh, I don't know how we would term that in terms of philosophies of life, but we would say it's a kind of taking what you can right. get. It, it is his social conditions that lead to him having to become this loathsome character. It's like a, like a crime and punishment almost where the, the character it becomes a murderer, but it's, it is his conditions of life that lead him to be there. Yeah, okay, so it's at least uh, explaining the reasons why living a, what we might call an antisocial kind of life. Whereas or iconoclastic. Of, or an iconic, maybe that one could have been, it's my iconoclastic life. It's my iconoclastic life, and I'll do what I want. Um, Q65 song. There will be. <laughs> there's like sort of a light and dark. Like life can be sadness, life can be gladness. Yeah. Uh, you might take what you can get, but then as soon as you think you're on top, you'll get this other, like, uh, something happens to you that makes you realize you're not as high up on the pedestal as you want. The henchman's living is sort of like we said, sort of more of a just sphinx-like um, pointing out your life of working and buying things and hurrying, but not making any kind of actual proposing anything. There's no revolutionary program that goes with it. It's just pointing out life is work. But we did suggest too that that song had a little bit of the classic rock and roll thing of, Hey, Working for the weekend, possibly. But we don't know if it really means that. But the weekend could be your solution to your problem. And then, of course, the Beach Nuts is about this kind of nihilistic, possible different side to the hippie era and its individual. We can see that a lot of the songs actually totally point out the the bullshitness of the idea of individuality, we could say in some ways. And then Weldon, for our Bo Diddley award choice, our, so earlier in the podcast, you said we were choosing the one that, which was the life, which we, now nah, we should just pick the one we think is the coolest, the song. coolest. Okay. Okay. <laughs> great. Um, all right. Tell me when you're ready. Okay. Okay. So this is where we play the music and this is where we come back and you know, the whole thing. So we're going to do it. Girl, I need your love. Come on, homie. I want your love. Don't leave me, girl. I need your love now. Don't go, babe. I want you. I cry, babe. What do you cry, babe? I cry, 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 I cry. No! Don't leave me, girl. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah, me too. So I'm going to now count 
down from three. And then Eric and I are going to, since we're not in the same room like we were earlier this week, we are going to hold up to the camera what we have. And then I'm going to announce what we've both said. So three, two, one. I don't see yours. Oh, sorry. I, I think mine's upside down. I just see the henchman. You got the henchman. I've got It's My Life. Yeah, so, and let me show you this, that I had written down Q65. And then, so you go first this time. You tell me how you chose It's My Life. Simply because I really love the song itself. I think it's a great 60s garage rock song. I like the do-do-do-do. Yeah. And then I like I like how that transforms into do-do-do-do-do. And then I've always loved the the uh then he kissed me riff being included in ding 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 and mm-hmm. ride the serpents man yeah that is that line in it that that's the line that makes me want to pump my fist in the air not the chorus like when he says i'm gonna ride the <laughs> serpent it's and just then, like you pump your head, and then you see like 16 other people pump and you're like there's 16 other people that agree with me this is the better part of <laughs> not the chorus although you'll go well, along and then the second best part is baby baby remember remember, remember so remember. actually the chorus is third best at, at best yeah, exactly. It's it's just a great song. It's got a great vocal performance from Eric Burden. It was to the point where I was going back and listening to actual Eric Burden performances, like Spill the Wine, like after he leaves us. And I'm like, man, this guy had a way of like telling a story mm-hmm. in a song. And the thought that he didn't like this song to me is just like absurd. It's got to be apocryphal because how could he not if like If he didn't like the song. If he didn't like the song, yeah. Which I, I think that, you know, I it, this song is so great. And uh, I don't know. To me, it's just a, it's an underrated garage rock song. I know we use the word underrated all the time. I don't, maybe it's rated properly, but uh, listening to it again, I was just really enjoying the the tones, the sounds of the band. Um, and whether or not I agree with the, well, I'd have lived life quite a lot like the character in that song as anyone who knows me would say. So maybe I just see myself in that song. And you also um, uh, extort older women. Yeah, that's also true. Well, I used to. Yeah, until you had your own riches. Now they extort you. Now younger women extort you. Uh, Now, okay, so the reason that I chose the henchman, so I was really torn between Q65 and the henchman, and I was trying to think of my favorite portrayal of life here, and I didn't really go to the beach nuts because I was like, I don't even want to think about any sort of connection with these guys or I'll go insane. I'll be off the rails at that point. And... I I love the animals, but maybe that character was a little bit too dark for me. And I was going to choose Q65 because there's so many lines that I love in that song Mm. and singing about Jope's wedding and being at a dancing and and the dog dying and going to the graveyard. It's just such a fun ride to go on listening to Life I Live by Q65. Uh, Awesome lyrics, awesome music. And actually, The Henchman, in a way, it's actually the weakest song of the four songs we did today, but I couldn't get over the way he goes, I live in life. <laughs> I just couldn't get over that. And that, to me, as like a middle-aged man, that was the best representation of living. Mm, the rest yeah. of them were a little bit juvenile to me. This is the one that I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the way that I live. I'm just like, eh, living. Well, yeah. Life. Yeah. Know? So if, if, if you're in a garage rock band, it's time to start living to your repertoire because this is the one you're going to get the most like response to. I mean, you'll still do well. Actually, why isn't there a garage rock band that only does songs that espouse life? Um, and the band could be called Life or Living or maybe something more. Common. It's got to be a cool, yeah. It's or the be... henchman with a T. <laughs> That's right. But the, it's clear that we are going to do a follow-up episode on death 
one day. Right. Yeah. But we're worried that if we do that, that it could be like unleashing things in our lives. So maybe we will just stay away from it. There's got to be another Michael, Michael Hurley song that we could add to to that episode. I know everyone's clamoring for us to do another Michael Hurley tune. <laughs> exactly. For sure. Yeah. I mean, they should be, but they should be. But I guess we are a garage rock show. And sometimes we, it's not that we forget it, but we just do what we want because we're the guy in It's My Life. Like, we're going to ride the serpent. And all I'm going to say <laughs> That's what we do every week. You've been joining us every week. It's obviously, this is a textbook episode. The philosophers are going to be listening to this one. Join us and next week when we ride the serpent again. Yeah. So do you want to say goodbye to the folks, Eric? I do. Farewell, pastronauts. We got to ride the serpent. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.